<laughs> All right. Mike Meacher, welcome to Going Again Podcast. Thank Thanks you so for much. Having me. This is this is really cool, guys. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Hey, and, and thank such you. Such a pleasure. Thank you, uh, Mike, for my brand new Stormbed Paleontology um, coffee mug. I thought you said Bailey's yeah. Bailey's Ontology. Yeah, thank well, you. Today it should be. Because <laughs> yeah. I think it is. Bailey's Ontology. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Welcome and thank you for uh, driving. Well, I suppose you had a gig last night in town. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so no, it worked out worked out perfect. Thanks for accommodating that. I'm sure. Cool. Sunday at nine in the morning is not when anyone wants to do anything. On that, it's not, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's all good. Nobody else is going to know it's Sunday at nine a.m. drinking Bailey's and coffee. <laughs> That's true with the shade shade. It could true. be five o'clock. Let's have a beer. <laughs> That's actually true. It actually feels kind of dark in here. Yeah. Um, where'd you gig last night? I played at. Uh, downtown Hespler, a place called the, the New York. The New York? The New York, yes. No, we've, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I mean, Yeah, it's fairly new. I guess they've been open about two or three years now. But, Hence uh, the name, eh? New York. Yeah, the, 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 the New York. <laughs> so that the, the owner, uh, his name is Jason York. So, uh, uh, oh. Yeah, he's from England. Hopefully okay. I have that right. Yeah. So this has nothing to do with the great city of America. The, the, the he's decor, new to Canada, so he's <laughs> sort of the New the, York. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, he's an immigrant, so, uh, yeah. you know, British guy. and uh, But, uh, you know, it's a really, really cool spot. It's all stone walls in the main dining room, so just the acoustics are fantastic. Nice. I, I love playing Sweet. There. Yeah. You'll have to check it out. Cool. Yeah. And Shout you're gigging quite York. a bit. You're gigging quite a bit nowadays. Yeah, fair amount. Uh, com- I mean, not as much as I was when I was touring, but uh, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm as busy as I want to be is, is sort of my answer, my non-engaging okay. answer. I mean, you're a guy with like a million... Uh, uh, hobbies and all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a victim of my own uh, curiosity. Yeah. That's wicked. <laughs> cool, so now, uh, uh, I understand correctly, you're a paleontologist. Uh, and, and this is very important because there's anyone that's actually an accredited paleontologist. I'm a paleontologist by vocation. So I, okay. I have no formal training. It's all in the field. I've basically pure learned interest. how to do... Yeah, pure interest-driven. Oh, wicked. But when mm-hmm. I uh, click onto something, I, I, <clears throat> I go in full on. So... Well, I was just the coffee mug. <laughs> I was just wondering about like dinosaurs and fossils, um, and playing a keyboard or something. Like the only paleontologist I know is Ross Geller, but he, but he's also a musician. So it's, oh. I thought it was kind of neat. Ross Geller from Friends. Oh, hey, right, <laughs> yeah. right. That's right. Yes, and actually, Ross, uh, I remember that somebody sent me a clip of uh, he mentions a trilobite, and I wish I could remember the context because it would be funny, but. No, oh. it's Sunday morning, and I We should have done our research. <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, the the previous uh, now he's since retired, but uh, this guy Dave Rudkin was the the previous uh, director of invertebrate paleontology at the ROM, and uh, a musician as well, and a you know guitar collector. So I I, I, I never actually got to meet him in person. We we've talked, but uh, you know he's I sort of became friends with him on Facebook and saw that he had a guitar collection. It's like. Oh, wicked. And I know a couple other guys that, that you know are musicians that, that are also, you know. And now you got to combine them both and you got to sing to a rock <laughs> album about bones and fossils. And <laughs> I, I've, it makes for know, a great love song. You're not, you're not the first person to say it. And I just, I just can't find a way where it's not just cheesy as hell. <laughs> it just doesn't work. It's just like, yeah, you either go like over the top dripping with metaphor or, or you just yes. uh, you just embrace it like you know I'm basically doing a Rafi song and it's about it's about 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we dive like deep into paleontology, um, let's go from uh, the Mudmen. You yeah. were in you were you, I was actually 
quite a fan of Mud Men. And then you got to, you you became their singer for a bit. Yeah, yeah, I did it. My for, God, uh, I mean, six years, and uh, obviously the, the time over COVID is a little bit hit and miss because we weren't working that much. We were doing the drive-in shows, which yeah was a bizarre experience. But yeah, yeah basically, I, I got a I got a, a uh, an email out of the blue from from Sandy Campbell, one of the the Bagpiper Brothers. They're the they're like they are the band, and uh, so over the course of the band's twenty plus year history. Uh, people have come and go. It's like, uh, you know, Robbie, Sandy's brother, describes it as kind of like a hockey team. It's a traveling hockey team. And guys come and go, hmm. but they're like the captains. They're the, they uh-huh. steer the ship. It's their, it's their gig. And uh, yeah, I got, a, I got basically a, a cold call from Sandy. And it's like, hey, uh, would you be interested in coming out uh, and playing for Mudman? Would you, would you be interested in auditioning to be our guitar player? And I thought about it for a while. I was like, you know, that might be really fun. And I've always wanted to try it. And I've always been too mired in other things to actually give it a proper go. Okay. So I thought maybe this is a good opportunity. And uh, so I start learning the songs. They send me the work. And uh, and I had a, a trip booked for, uh, I was going to Cuba for 11 days, coming back for three days, and then I was going to Las Vegas. And uh, before I left for Cuba, Sandy called me. He's like, okay, um, there's a bit of a problem. Our singer is stepping down like effective immediately do you think you could uh not only become the guitar player but could you be our lead vocalist and could you be ready to go on a three-week tour in three weeks wow so uh i took a a little travel guitar and we were staying in um uh the bay of pigs in cuba which is you know you you go live in someone's house and we were there for scuba diving and i brought this little travel guitar and i learned what 40 or 50 songs in Cuba between dives. Oh my uh, God. And it, there's all these, uh, that must've no, been special for Claire. It was, she wasn't there. She wasn't there. <laughs> oh, I was okay. on my own. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> I was in full work mode and, and I was playing with, I was playing Stellar. with the locals too. And, uh, it was, uh, it was weird. So I guess at one point there was about seven or eight kids just sitting outside my bedroom window, listening to this weird Celtic music from some white guy. <laughs> and, and, hilarious uh, yeah it was it was a really surreal experience and uh yeah it was it was it ended up being a memorable trip but i, I managed to get ready in time and uh you know to, uh, we we went on the tour and it took we played way the hell up north and it was like a 22 hour drive <laughs> and it was just like trial by fire like i think we, we had half a rehearsal and it was just hit the stage and go wicked like, you know, wow it was it was terrifying you know in retrospect but but uh, shoot the rehearsal that's what we do yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) man that's awesome and how long were you with them then it was uh about six years yeah so cool um i can't remember what the exact number was it was 400 and something shows something like that and x amount of tours and yeah we played all over canada and the u.s and it was a great experience i i uh the traveling um and it actually um Without being in Mud Men, I never would have gotten into the fossils again. Why? Um, what do you mean? What happened? Um, in 2016, we, we did a tour uh, out west, and uh, we went to... Are you familiar with Drumheller, mm-hmm. Alberta? Yeah. So it's like no. it's like the dinosaur capital of Canada. There's a... The Royal Tyrell ah. Museum is there. It's, it's like world-class museum. Absolutely incredible. It's in the Badlands. Like it's... Uh, so this town has sort of built its identity around the proximity to dinosaurs. So there's like... You know, in Pee Wee Herman, there's that giant dinosaur mm-hmm. sculpture. Yeah, essentially they have one of those, and uh, and there's there's all these fossil shops, and there's there's like these huge poly resin dinosaurs all over the just everywhere, like fire hydrants. There's dinosaurs, 
And uh, so going back out there, it just... and. The first vocation I wanted to do was was be a paleontologist. When I was a kid, I made this horrible little clay figurine of a paleontologist. Like that's what I want to be. <laughs> I was twenty at the time. No, I was I was like I was like ten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you know, just being being there was just like, oh yeah, I fucking love this shit. And uh, I uh, started researching. Like, well, maybe I can find stuff around me. I was totally ignorant to everything. And it turned out there was like, you know, from where I was living in Cambridge, an hour and a half away, there was this Devonian deposit, 400, uh, 382 million year old rocks that you could find trilobites. A Devonian deposit? Yeah, yeah. As opposed to <clears throat> another deposit? Yes. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I've never heard of it. <laughs> well, yeah. it Whereabouts is it? Um, so it's a little town called Arcona. <clears throat> okay. It's just west of London, about 40 minutes west of London. And uh, there's a, uh, we share... Um, basically this Devonian strata with uh, a lot of New York state. So you see a lot of similar species, but there's certain differences and, but it's, uh, you know, it's been, it's been known since the 1860s. Uh, there's been some famous Canadian fossil collectors out of that area. Hmm. Um, really? Yeah. So I just started, I started learning from, from some other collectors and learning how to dig and refine my techniques. And then, like I said, anything I get into, it's, it's, it's over. It's, it's like hook it to my veins kind of thing. Yeah. And I got, I got, I got pretty, pretty good at it and, uh, made some people mad and here we are. <laughs> Excellent. That, that's the way to do it. Man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've been, so how long have you technically been doing uh, this? Yeah. I would say, um, really into it probably since like late 2016 till okay. here I sit. Yeah. And when did you start diving? Did they kind of go hand in hand to some degree? To some degree, because I did find a, a fossilized shark tooth on a dive in Mexico, which was just like, oh, that's pretty cool. Did you get to Jeez. eat that? I, uh, but you oh, got yeah, be... I, should, I should be careful here. If any of them, I don't, I don't know what the legality is surrounding uh, Mexican fossils. So the fun thing is, is you found one. I did find <laughs> one. Yeah, who knows if it, I mean, I don't know what happened to it. But, <laughs> you know, who knows? It was a bull shark tooth. Like a, this, probably a, like you know. 10,000 years old or something. Wow, man. Not that old, but, uh, you know, and, not but in terms of this. I stuff. imagine if you find something like that, you're looking for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there is, there's accidental finds, which is kind of how sure. everything gets started. Like, kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, the first, the first naturalists were hunters. The first biologists were naturalists. Like, you know, one thing feeds the other and, and evolves into a profession. But, hmm. um, I suppose though, if you're a bird watch and you're walking through a forest, you know, the trees are there, but your eyes, because of your interest, find birds. That's So even if, right, you, if you're, you're always scuba diving, up. you're just hanging out, looking at a reef. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your, your, your brain is searching for your yeah. stuff, regardless of whether you're doing it consciously. Yeah. We, yeah, we always <clears> refer <throat> to it as a, a search image. So like you're, you know, in different strata, you have to use a different search image. So it's like you're looking for you know, specific things like whether it be a color or a shape or, you know, whatever the case may be, or like, you know, a set of, uh, like in New York state, what you're looking for is like little domes of rock. And those are sort of mud domes and often things get trapped in those little mud domes and that's, hmm. you know, can give you a good chance. So you, you really turn your search image up and, and scan and now, so okay, let's say you wow. find one of those mud domes. We're we're talking <clears throat> underwater now. We're still scuba diving. No, they're, so they're actually. Uh, sorry, I kind of jumped around there. Um, so mm -hmm. like they're mud domes in in stone. Like the, at one point it was sediment, but now it's limestone rock. But okay. the shape it retains the shape. So you okay. look for certain. 
types of shapes and horizons. But and so you, when you, you sorry, no, go ahead. You said this was specific to New York State. Uh, we have them here too, to some extent, because okay. it's the same same group. It's called the Hamilton Group. The rocks, uh, you know, the the basically the the strata runs right through. Uh, it does not care about the borders, um, and you know, there, there's there's subtle differences, but you know, it's the same kind of animals you find in both both sides. But uh, for for scuba diving, for me, it's always the animals. Like you're looking for the critters on the reef, kind of thing. Okay. So and I've I think I've done. I've done around 300 dives, and I've probably done 299 with my camera, which mm. you're not supposed to do, by the way. But, <laughs> you know, your first 50 you shouldn't do with a camera. But, like, that's always been, you know, my interest in the photography okay. element of it. I yeah. find it fun that you always mention things you're not supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to, to, to not censor myself. But, you know, no, just... don't, don't do that. <laughs> so these mud dome do- deals, though, like, um, and I, I have a burning question that I think everyone listening to this right now does as well. But um, the mud dome, that you find this formation, does it just break open like an egg or? Think of it kind of like layer, uh, you know, pages huh. in a book. So like when you look at a, specifically these Devonian rocks, if you kind of look at them from the side, there's layers. So you want to split those layers. And I think of it as kind of like pages in a book or like a, like a scratch ticket. So you're, you're basically going layer by layer as fine as you can. Oh, okay. And so a mud dome will be like, it'll be, you know, it'll be almost circular and dome. Like it, it you know, it has a, a look to it. And uh, they tend it gets to... It's basically a bubble. Kind of like a bubble, yeah. It's a yeah. bubble in the mud and then just stayed there. Yep. And then fossilized became fossilized and, rock. Yep. Guys, I don't mean to hold us up for a second, but do you hear the music? Yeah. Where does that come from? Well, let's uh, let's text everybody and see. <laughs> sorry, uh, Mike. For some, re- well, no, uh, I'm sorry. Apparently, I don't know how this happened, but there's a Sigur Ross song playing on my phone. <laughs> I don't even know where it came from. I don't even think I have that song on my okay list. If it was my was wife it? upstairs, I'd have cut it out. <laughs> but but it's not my wife upstairs. It's you, so I'm not cutting this out. <laughs> no, I'm just subtly oh, raising my own background music, like you know, doing foley in the background. Uh, yeah, so what I'm saying seemed more important. It was nice music. <laughs> That's awesome. It was nice. But <laughs> okay, so I'm going to get to my burning question. Yeah. Um, now that I know how to take apart um, a mud bubble, a, <laughs> a mud dome, um, what the hell is a trilobite? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people don't know what they are. So a trilobite is essentially a marine invertebrate that uh, they, they sort of look like a pill bug. Um, but, you know, that's... Oh, oh, what's a pill bug? Like yeah. a woodlouse. You know the little okay. guys that okay, roll just a second. What's a woodlouse? Oh, my God, man. <laughs> we're, we're digging a huge hole What's here? an arthropod? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy frick. Uh, if you've ever seen, like, a decaying wood, and you know those little gray guys? They're kind of round, and uh, and they roll up in a ball real tight. Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. You're saying That's... sure, Andrew, but you're kind of yeah, like, yeah, but they're know, real okay. tiny, real tiny. Yeah, real small. Real yeah, small. Yeah. yeah, I think I do know what you're talking yeah. about. That, That's a so, woodlouse. Yeah, so a trilobite is not a woodlouse, but just as a comparison, they're very similar in their in their sort of you know in a in a very superficial way, they're very similar in their body plan. Like they're you know they got the legs underneath, uh, they got you know a hard shell on top. Okay, but that's what I do. That's what I've got. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> my legs are underneath. Yeah, hard, yeah, hard shell. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, so these things, uh, they have no. There's no living descendants of them. They died out <clears throat> basically in the Permian period. So. 
essentially when uh, our ancestors were first evolving uh, lungs and getting on land and the first amphibians, uh, the, the last of the trilobites was dying out. But that said, they were one of the most successful organisms on Earth. They were around in one form or another for about 280 million years. Wow. Um, and, you know, they died out before the very first dinosaurs. So, like, it's wow. it's mind-boggling to think about uh, just the amount of time. So the first trilobites, essentially, why they're important in the fossil record is they're, they're one of the first complex organisms that we have record of. Um, and they're shelled. And they had incredibly advanced eyes. Um, the oldest ones are around 530 million years old, so half a billion years old. And, uh, you know, really well known from, uh, you know, places like Nevada. And there's a lot of stuff coming out of China now, too. Um, what's, what's interesting about them is the, the diversity of the, the animal. There's, there's been over 21,000 species described. And this is an animal that died before the first dream of anything having lungs, right? This is so crazy. These, this is yeah. all stuff that's been described from the fossil record, from people doing the work. And, and a lot of them, you know, frankly... Are, are dumbasses like me. It's just like, I like this. I'm going to go do this. And, and other guys pursue, you know, the PhD route and go that way and suck the fun out of it. But, you know, <laughs> for most of us, you know, we, you know, and, uh, and try to contribute to the knowledge base there, but over 21,000 species already. And what you see is, uh, essentially a trilobite, uh, from Latin means three lobes. So the basic body plan is, is essentially the same for, for all of those 21,000. There's a head, there's a thorax and there's a tail. And uh, kind of like a lobster, these things would molt throughout their lifetime. So they'd shed the hard shell as they got bigger, you know, exactly like a lobster mm -hmm. does now. Um, and so mm -hmm. a lot of what we have on record are, are these hard fossilized shells that we, you know, essentially can be incredibly well preserved. They almost look like they're still alive, some of these things. So now you, you, the fossilization of the shell, not the animal itself, is that in most cases, now there's a couple uh, places on Earth that are called, uh, let's see if I have the pronunciation right, because it's a German word, Lagerstadt, which essentially... I've had that beer. <laughs> That's a good one, eh? Mm -hmm. Lagerstadt, <laughs> good one. Yeah. Uh, so all that essentially means is that, that uh, the soft tissue is preserved. So um, I have a really good friend in New York State who runs uh, a world-famous quarry um, called the, uh, the Beecher Trilobite Beds. Basically, the location was lost for 100 years. Um, long story short, uh, these trilobites preserve with iron pyrite, which actually, these animals were, they died and were deposited in anoxic mud so quickly that the soft tissue actually fossilized. So you see, wow. you see the gills, you see the legs, the antenna, the eggs, and uh, there's actually some other papers coming out of, of other morphological features maybe even differences between male and females and it, it's most people don't know about the kind of stuff like it's 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 pretty cool though like these things are uh you know 460 million years old and the legs are preserved and this is something that you look at a bug now mm -hmm. and i mean how long is that going to last it's but, fascinating yeah. right yeah. but essentially they're <clears throat> they're almost always in three lobes and they're they're uh, they're arthropods, and they were all exclusively marine animals. Oh, really? So <clears throat> underwater. Yep. Okay. And actually, everything was so for basically until the Permian period, uh, there wasn't really anything going on land. Like, you know, well, that's no yeah. plants on land, like no trees. Really? Yeah, it was a very very the world was a very different place, and in fact, where a lot of these are found, like you know the trilobites from from Arcona, New York. Uh, you know, it was probably closer to Brazil at the time, you know, because the, 
the land masses have shifted and moved. Oh, right wow. So not only have these <clears throat> things survived for hundreds of millions of years, they've they've survived incredibly violent geologic upheaval over hundreds of millions of years and changes in the environment. And, and, and we can still go, I can go half an hour from my house and find one of these things. Really? Has not seen daylight in almost 400 million years. And I, that's what I kind of get excited about. So as, as you're speaking, you, uh, you look down to your right and you reference with your hand, but can you pick yeah, one up absolutely. and show us? So um, I'll show you two from the Devonian deposits. Now these are ones that I've found and prepared and we can get into the preparation stuff later, but this one's got a yeah, we can't zoom in on this, but okay. uh, but at least we can show. Yeah, and hold it up in front of the, yeah, the, uh, almost the as camera's high as your, like no, on as high, high as your mic right here. That's your camera there. Yeah, oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, So and so that's a little bugger in the middle. Yeah, that's him in the middle there, <laughs> and uh, you'll see all these other little pieces. Yeah. of uh, you know very similar looking pieces. So these these would be molts or shed sections. Okay. Oh so, wow! And essentially that those are the parts that the animal sheds in sequence to escape its shell because it's it's going to get a little bit bigger, right? right? If you've ever seen a spider molt. Just turn it just a smidgen oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this one's from uh, just west of London, Ontario. So you find it wow. in a rock, and, and do you have to cut that piece of rock out of whatever you're doing it? Yeah, so uh, you know, I usually travel with a little field saw, a little battery-powered guy, but then you have to take it and refine it. So they don't look like this when you find them. And uh, I mean, I can actually, if you, I, I, I think I do have some photos of raw in the field finds okay well we can probably post a couple of those yeah just yeah so people can see them essentially it looks like almost nothing and that's where the search image really comes into play because you're look essentially looking at gray on gray right and you're looking for ridge lines and you're looking for specific uh you know geometric features that that repeat and that's going to be the thing about trilobites is they have this long axial ridge uh and so sort of your best ally when you're when you're finding these things is that the fossil itself even though uh you know from a from a standpoint of what it's made of it, it's essentially mineralized from the types of uh elements that are in the rock around it uh, so you know it's really indistinguishable from the rock that it sits in but by nature of how it fossilizes it creates a weakness in the rock so the rock wants to split around the fossil sure which which Makes is a sense. huge advantage right it, depending on you know in this particular case that's that the, they tend to split on the fossil now what normally happens is you end up with half the fossil on one side half the ah. fossil on the other side so then i've got to take that in the lab and clamp it together glue it work okay. down and so, to make a know, presentation similar yeah, to this to make a, a repair right now this particular one this is really the only one that i've kind of kept for my own collection um when i found this it was sitting you know in a dome but there was just three little ribs poking out. And generally, 99 times out of 100, it's just a section. So it's just a piece of the, of the, of the trilobite. But in this case, it ended up being a complete bug. So you, 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 take, your, you take your chances and, you know, stuff wow. in the lab. You think you, might, you think you may have found, you know, massive amounts of stuff with, with financial value. And you're driving home. Like, yeah, you know, I, I got it. And then you get the stuff in the lab and it's like... <laughs> really? I've got a box of junk rocks that are going in the garden, and uh, you know. It's just, <laughs> and, and what's yeah. the other one over here you have? So this is uh, the same age, a totally different species. So you'll you'll see like even yeah, I can tell the difference. Yeah, there, there's a big difference. So this <laughs> one's very smooth. Well, I can't. 
And, uh, you know, this one's got <clears throat> spines all over it. The, the cool thing about this era... And hold it up a little bit. Yeah, oh, sorry. No, it's all good. Um, the cool thing about this particular era, this was the rise of the jawed fish. So this is where fish still didn't really have bones. They had armor and they had cartilage, but uh, they, they didn't really have bones. Um, but what they, they did start to grow was, was mouth plates and jaws. So, of course, these things are everywhere. So it's like the snack of the seafloor. So what you see is this um, sort of arms race. <laughs> the snack of the seafloor. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Like a Paleozoic lobster. So, you know, obviously these things would have been everywhere and it would have been a really good food item. These guys would be, you know, not the bottom of the food chain, but, you know, lower. Uh, essentially, these guys would live on the seafloor and eat little worms and stuff and other soft tissue creatures. Uh, but fish started to develop and evolve jaws. So what you see in this time period, at the same time as trilobites start to evolve spines. In to keep the cases, damn fish with jaws away. Yep. So in some cases, really dramatic ones. I'll show you. This one is, uh, you know, in, in roughly the same time period, oh, look. also Devonian. But you start oh, to see... Hold it up a little bit. So this one will be hard oh, to see yeah. on the yeah, camera. Yeah, tilt it back. You can this just start to see the little spines up. This one will yeah. be hard to see on Spotify and yes. Apple Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can, I can uh, definitely send you... I have some pictures on my phone. Oh, that's fascinating. So I, I do, you know, I try to do high-end photography for all this kind of stuff on, on macro. But what, you know, what you see when it's zoomed in is that they have a head spine. They've got these elbow spines. They've got spines coming off the spines. And it, it's never more prevalent. Like this one's from Oklahoma, but... A lot of the ones you see from Morocco, it's unbelievable. These things are like, it's like a pin cushion. It's like pinhead, now, the animal. Was that because Moroccan fish have better jaws? Uh, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's more, more of a, an artifact of the, the particular uh, elements in that sediment and the, the certain geologic pressures that it was under. Uh, for whatever reason, okay. there's all these the, the huge sliding scale of variables. But essentially, the point is that incredibly well preserved so in a lot of cases trilobites look like they look like shit like a lot of stuff in england it's flattened and, and even a lot of stuff uh here in canada it doesn't look all that good um but with morocco what you see is um, a term that gets used a lot is inflation mm -hmm. so that's in, essentially the animal you're seeing it in its full dimensionality oh. so it's not normally what you would see in uh you know Again, geologic pressures and time and change and fossilization, it's things get squished. Squished, yeah. So, but in Morocco, for whatever reason, we have this incredible preservation where you end up with these fully three D. And now, would it have something to do with the uh, the temperature of the world over there in Morocco? Um, the temperature so, of the sediment. And, well, I mean, the interesting thing is, it wouldn't be the land the land mass of what we think of as as Earth. Uh, you know, at the time, everything would have been like all together, right? So it's not... Well, that's so, interesting. Yeah, so okay. the tectonic plates that, yes, that created continents would have not been what they are today. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist. I'm, you know, to, to quote 
I'm not the biggest Joe Rogan guy in the world, but to quote Joe Rogan, I, I love this quote, is I, I'm, I am exactly smart enough to know how stupid I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and I always tell people, like, I'm a digger. Like, I don't have PhD after my name. I'm a digger and and, and I'm an, an artist. So this is the kind of things I do. But so I, I believe that there's the Pangea theory and there's all, you know, where the land mass is sort of by, by tracking the geologic pathway of, of land masses, they can kind of figure, you know, this is essentially one big land mass. And hmm. so everything would have been so and essentially in in morocco the devonian rocks in morocco this trilobite is called a ketneraspis don't worry there won't be a test on this later um, <laughs> this same essentially the same species shows up on the other side of the world in north africa and this same you know they call it something else because it might be separated by 10 million years but it's the same it's the same trilobite you know it's got all the same features because at one point they lived hmm. together yeah, it's and, just the landmass is land separated. separated. Yeah, yeah. So you end up seeing that, and, and I mean, it's it's why uh, it's why the the willfully ignorant of uh, you know how old the planet is, and the, you know stuff like that always annoys me because it's like I don't need to make anything up. The, the the proof is right here in the rocks. Like nobody buried these things for you to find them and, and try to you know. Yeah, some of those your... theories are pretty silly. Actually. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's a, and they're almost always religiously based, right? Like you're, you're, you've, you've lost before, you've even started. Like you just can't, you can't win against that kind of indoctrination. It's like, well, oh. you know, and a lot of people hate paleontologists. Like we've been, you know, my uh, my page on Instagram, like we have been, we've been shadow banned again and again, and it's the, these fundamentalist groups are just going after us because they don't like yeah. but you know for me it just blows my mind because it's like you know i don't know i'm not an expert you know i don't think anyone's an expert because this is what we sort of think of as a as a soft science we don't have any scientists working in the field there's no biologists working in the field 460 million years ago so everything all the conclusions we draw are essentially the very best of educated guesswork hmm. and there's some wonky theories out there from pretty accredited scientists but you know, essentially, we're working on soft science. We we're working with the leavings of something, and a very narrow picture of what that would be. Not everything fossilizes, right? So you know, to go back to the religious fundamentalism, they're always looking for well, where's the missing link to this? Well, where's the missing link to this? You know, where's what fills in the gaps between these two hominids? It's like not everything fossilized, man. You know, the odds of something fossilizing, it's, it's got to be a million to one. Yeah, but what's interesting is you can mm. always turn those questions around on them and yeah, they have them like offer you any proof. <laughs> yeah, but then yeah. their ignorance is just, for, it just takes over. I don't have to do that. No, no. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's literally, they, they, I mean, they have a blanket word for faith. Faith. Belief in the absence of proof. And, and it's like that's such a, and that's fine because I, I have, I don't go on to Christian forums and, 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 oh, and well, slam about, yeah, I, I just don't. I, I mind my business. I stay in my lane. I live my life. But when people come for you, it's just like, why? Come on, man. I'm just trying <laughs> to live my life. I just like these things, you know? Like, oh, hurting silly. anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's so silly. Some people have too much time on their hands. They do. Yeah. 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 Though there's a there's a definitely a, one of those X Y graphs between time and getting into trouble. <laughs> but they also have to justify their faith. They have to justify <clears throat> that they believe in something. Because after, you know, spending 30, 40, 50 years of having a faith, they, yeah. they're not really sure they're going to yeah. admit they're wrong. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's really nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with faith. Like, of course you know, it's, not. It's you can. Yeah. There's a, there's a million ways to go in life, and and do whatever fulfills you and doesn't hurt anybody else. Like that, that should be that's that's it. That right? should be that's it. it. Yeah, it's a really short book. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I won't. Hundred percent. I like that. Uh, you know, the, a religious text should be just. Uh, I think it was R- Ricky Gervais that said, "Don't be a, a c word," and that's yeah. it. Just don't be a c word. You know, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, an even shorter book, and yeah. uh, it would be perfect yeah. for everybody. Yeah. yeah, believe what you want to believe, but but you know, st- yeah, just mind stay your own off damn my business. Instagram, don't you know? Oh, yeah, we get messages all the time. You know, it's 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 nuts. But, so uh, I think of the movie business as as a uh, as a boy's dream, and you know, and now we're men working uh, a boy's dream to some degree. Guns for a living. Yeah, yeah, just playing guns for a living and shooting stuff with a camera. Every kid kind of like do they, they they enjoy doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of think of this as a very similar thing. Absolutely. You're doing yeah. boys sort of uh You fell dream, in love with bugs you know? when you were a kid. Yeah, dinosaurs and bugs and yeah. amphibians and whatever it might be. Um, how do you feel about that? That must be... That, I mean, you're right on the money with that. Like when I was a kid, you know, I, and I'll be the first person to admit, I was a weird kid. You know, like my nickname was Nature Boy. Yeah, you're still weird. Yeah, it's still weird. Yeah, good, good. In fact, I think Nature I've Boy. grown weirder. Maybe that's time. what we'll, yeah. we'll put down yeah. instead More of More comprehensive Mitchell. weirdness, right? You know, it's like try to cover the board. So, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I was a small kid and uh, very insular, uh, you know, and I'm not, not the biggest social creature, Uh which is funny being a musician. Like, why would you do that? But which is also funny because I don't think that thing's social anymore either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. anything's stuck in a rock. <laughs> they were social animals, though. But you know, yeah, they called me Nature Boy uh, as an insult, and I was just like, "That's not an insult. I like, I like nature. Like, I, I you know, my next door neighbor was was hitting frogs with a golf club, and I, uh-huh. I jumped the fence, rescued this toad with these other teenagers chasing me, and I just, I did stuff like that. So. Sorry, I, Good, I, I like I'm that. bad at tangents, but um, my, my dad uh, grew up in Craigleith, so just outside of Collingwood, mm-hmm. and that's uh, uh, right on Georgian Bay. So there's uh, a really famous uh, Ordovician deposit, which is older than the Devonian deposit. So these funky names are essentially uh, names for different slices in time. So, you know, X amount of million years ago. And then, you you know, like Jurassic and Cretaceous. And mm-hmm. so those are the older time periods, you know, the Devonian, uh, Silurian, Cambrian. Um, so when my dad was a kid, uh, he would find, because they literally lived right on the seven seas, right, right, on, right on the beach there. And uh, he would find fossils. And uh, I don't know how it ended up happening, but um, the ROM would start coming out. And looking for my dad, you know, when he was a kid. Oh so wow! The, my 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 grandma likes to say, you know, the the rom guys would come and be like, is is David home from school yet? And uh, so, because my dad would take them out and show them, you know, whatever he found. So I'm positive there's stuff in the Jeez. basement of the rom that my dad found. Oh. So I like <laughs> to think I'm a second generation fossil. And for anyone hunter. listening, that wow, that's cool. From around the world, the rom is the Royal Ontario Museum, which right. is in Ontario. That's like, you know, that's the. It, it's looked it's to grow over the place. years. It, inside, it is a gorgeous museum, yeah. and, and it, I mean, it, it it blew my mind when I was a kid. Yeah, and uh, Blur Street, Toronto. Right, yeah. right up to the most recent thing they did uh, just before COVID was the Dawn of Life exhibit, which is a massive exhibit. They had a, they had a huge donation from a family uh, to do this exhibit, and essentially, it's all about early life. It's everyone knows about dinosaurs, everyone knows about saber tooth cats, and then sort of the rise of humans, but. Uh, 
We got it that you from know, the Flintstones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Where, where we obviously all lived together and and uh, <laughs> and, and uh, worked with dinosaurs at, at the factory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so uh, this is focusing on that massive period of Earth's history that doesn't really get a lot of public attention because, I mean, I've shown these to tens of thousands of people. And the look of glazing that comes over. So I, I'm not, I wouldn't be the first guy to say, yeah, let's spend $11 million on an early life exhibit because I've seen how the public looks at these things. But, you know, that's just, that's, that's just, that's just my, uh, my conceit, I guess. But um, so growing up, I heard about this all the time because when you're a kid, you like dinosaurs. Like, oh, your, your dad used to look for fossils and the ROM would come looking for them. And, and I remember thinking at one point, it's like, who the fuck would collect trilobites? <laughs> just because i didn't get it right and then uh and then i found my first one and then it was like a full-on addiction just I, I, it certainly is interesting it is yeah it's, it's fascinating um, i've never I, I i didn't know what it was until the, right now right now well yeah. yeah yeah they're i mean they're they're not they're they're, they're the most well-known not well-known fossil like they're you know they they, they come in uh they come in kind of under the radar a little bit because they are bugs for one. Yeah. They're arthropods. And I mean, they're, uh, you know, it's not a dinosaur. How do you compete with a 75 foot long animal that that's got a 30 foot neck kind of thing, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, they're, 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 they're interesting. And they're, they're really interesting because they tell, they tell a story about evolution and they tell they a story tell. about, you know, an animal group that just kicked ass for forever. A long time. Until now they, they did. And you say there's 21,000 species of them? At least. I don't even know what the number is right now. But they, like... How would you like to be the guy picking that up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of, Which is a just, huge problem, all over actually. a table, and he just picks one up. Oh, yeah. And then 10,000 in, he goes, no, I think I've seen this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll get... Uh, there's kind of funny. I think, uh, I'm not sure, again, the, the, the science is constantly in flux, and I use that term loosely. But... There's, there's seven to nine different sort of boxed-in family groups of trilobites based on, you know, certain things like um, there's two different types of eye types. There's an eye type that's like, kind of like, uh, it's made up of up to 4,000 little tiny lenses. And the lenses are so small, you can only see them under, you know, really fine magnification. And then there's another kind. I can't um, even believe you can see that. It's, it's called a skyzacrol Like, look eye. at how tiny they are. And then they've got four thousand eye lenses. Yeah, yeah. How uh, totally? Wow. And little tiny calcite lenses, like little tiny windows that would reflect reflect light. And hmm. you know, these things had almost a three hundred and sixty degree of vision. And that's kind of why we That'd know these trip. things were on the menu, right? Like you don't have, you can't see behind <laughs> you if you're having a good time. Like you know, something is hunting you. If you need to see behind you, and that's an evolutionary adaptation. Like, you know, there's always a cost-benefit uh, uh, quotient in evolution where it's like, well, I, you know, obviously the animal's not in charge of what's happening to it, but, you know, the, uh, the, the environment dictates a certain level of specialization for right. that environment. So almost all these things had this massive range of vision. So the cost-benefit would be that hmm. you can see everything, but you look goofy. Yeah, <laughs> they were so yeah they, they had really low self-esteem yeah, yeah, yeah they imagine. did really well but uh, you know low self-esteem well i can't help but think that um that 
how like how do you know that these deposits like that you're not losing one or chipping one away or missing one or <laughs> like or that they're even there that's it's unreal yeah yeah um i you know, i always think of it as uh the best way to think of it is it's a treasure hunt right like you might you might win or lose it's feast or famine you might you might t- find 10 bugs you might find a multi-plate with 10 bugs on it which is you hmm. know, really impressive well the uh, one you had had like four or five on there right uh, actually, I got one here with uh, thirteen and a half because. Oh my! Because we're oh yeah, because I fucking cut through one. Oh, but you don't know mm. it's there, right? So that that's kind of illustrates the point. You don't really know what you here, have. hold it up in front of you, Mike. Just so you don't really know what you have until cool. you've you've kind of taken it into the lab. And I mean, this is after probably twenty hours in and, the lab. And you've got how many? There's thirteen of them in 13 there. Thirteen and a half. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so that there's the half guy, and he would have been a really nice bug, but you just don't know yeah. what's there. Like, you know, the odds are, are are out there that there's going to be anything on it. But now, are they all the same one? In this case, they're all the same except for this poor guy that got smashed by. Uh, this is a piece of coral. Okay. A rugos coral or a horn coral. Um, so this is actually from way up north. Uh, actually, uh, two hours north of North Bay, up Highway Eleven. Okay. So, um, we have a spot there where we do a lot of digging and we've, you know, found a, a couple new species of things. And yeah. I was going to ask about this, uh, this discovery. Oh yeah. The, uh, the algae. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, uh, we, we sort of laugh about the, the algae because, uh, it was bycatch, you know, it was, it was, it was the dolphin that ended up in our net when we were looking for something else. Wow. Uh, you know, it, but it, it's interesting because first of all, algae to preserve the the conditions that need to be met for that to happen because it's a soft tissue right and so you know it shouldn't it should just rot and be gone it's a plant it's a plant yeah and so we started finding this type of plant and uh, we would see these little root like tendrils on it and we were seeing the complete thing it kind of looked like a hand and so um, and this is a fossil you're looking at that's a fossil, point, right yeah. okay yeah. so it's a uh, like a carbonized fossil and uh uh, but you know it, it should have rotted but the conditions were right so that the soft tissue preserved um, so we reached out to you know another uh, a friend who, who's who's you know written a book on the subject and he kind of helped champion um, he opened the door as a go-between us and a researcher so not to not to go too far off subject but uh, essentially there's a real there's a real disconnect between guys like me and guys that work at universities as you know researchers working with this type of material um not to put too fine a point on it they hate people like me okay because i'm doing it commercially right so it's it's i'm doing it commercially but the reality is that museums don't have the budget and frankly they don't have good field work you know, they did back in the 80s and 90s. Now, I don't know what goes on. I think they put all their money into the Burgess Shale stuff. But, you know, the they're not the researchers aren't producing the specimens. Guys like me are producing the specimens. And uh, so, you know, it gets a little frustrating because these guys treat you like shit. And, uh, you know, so we hmm. had a go-between that was sort of, you know, sort of halfway between collector and academic to kind of bridge the gap between an us and a researcher named Steve, Stephen Leduca at, um, at the university of Michigan. And we sent him like, well, we think we found something new. Like what it, do you know what this is? And he works with, uh, plants like paleozoic plants. And he looked at, it, he's like, well, this isn't just a new species. It's a whole new genus, which is massive. Wow. Okay, a whole so new 
so th this is absolutely fascinating. But <clears throat> how did you know? Like when you when you found it, it's like I'm sorry, I'm going back to that yeah, twenty one thousand. What? Like what rang is what yeah. rang the bell? Like, like what rang I'm, the bell? Yeah. Like this guy looks at twenty one thousand <laughs> bugs and says, "Oh yeah, this one's different." Well, you you know you've seen this stuff, and, and I forgive my ignorance because I have no idea. If I saw a plant, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's different from that one. Right. <laughs> what made you think for a second that this might be something new? It was so different from anything we'd seen. And basically what we were seeing was this one species called uh, Thalassocystis. is a type of algae from the Silurian era. So 444 <laughs> million <laughs> <What>? years. <laughs> Just define each one of those okay, words. Okay, so this, sentence, this plant is it's real freaking old, right? And you got this plant, <laughs> yeah, and it looks yeah. really freaking different from this plant. And yeah, it's like, that's, a, that's a new thing. Uh, okay, now let's have a beer. <laughs> no, bring it, bring it. <laughs> So yeah, so this uh, there's not there's not a lot of uh, plant material from the Silurian era. Like you're talking about the earliest plants. So okay. um, they're convinced it's algae. But like I look at these things and like you know I'm a dumbass. I don't, I, you know, I just find the stuff right. Uh, but I look at it and it's like man, this thing looks like a Christmas tree. It's it you know it it, it had um, it looked like a deciduous tree like with with little uh, tines on it and a really really fine looking plant. But the, we were only seeing this one type of algae called Thalassocystis, and apparently it's been previously described from rocks in Michigan. Um, so they've determined that basically the basis of the paper was going to be describing a new type of Thalassocystis algae. God, it's hard to say even for me. And Thalassocystis. Uh, Thalassocystis. You nailed it, Randy. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and so it was determined that when they when they did the re when Steve did the research on it that it was basically indistinguishable from the kinds that were already known. And uh, so we didn't have a new species. We just found really, really good, complete specimens of, of this plant. So we sent, well, we found this other thing, which is not the same thing. And that was like the, holy shit, this is something totally new. Wow. And so what Steve did for us is, is he brought us in as authors on the paper. And there is no definition more loose than describing me as an author on a scientific paper. <laughs> so, you know, I love it. Me and my high school degree are going to, you know, uh, you know, an, an accredited <laughs> author on a I scientific paper uh, published by uh, the Cambridge University Press. And uh, Wicked. In the, yeah, so it's kind of kind of cool. But um, Steve did all, of the, you know, he does all the research. And if you read this thing, it's, you know, it's. If someone it, wants to read it, it's got a lot of it. fiber in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how can people read this? So uh, that's a good question. So I, I do have a link to it, and it, I think they're charging like uh, I think it's like thirty bucks to get the paper. Okay. Well, okay. Somebody, somebody out there might want to spend thirty yeah, bucks. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. Okay. Can I can I send you a link? Yeah. 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 Send, okay. yeah. yeah. I'll send you a link to the uh, to the paper because it is behind a paywall. Um, we did we did get a copy of it. But uh, so, so what Steve did for us, we were on as authors. And so the, the sort of interesting thing about being an author is it, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of science street cred, but you don't get to name it. So if you're an author on the paper, you don't get to name it. So, so it was named for a, um, a professor in emeritus of macrobiology at, at the university, probably a colleague of, of Steve's, but, um, the name ended up being Earl Tonella Frederick's eye. Earl Tonella, Frederick's Eye. So, new species, new genus. It, yeah, it was just really cool. I mean, it's an algae. So, you could make a point like, well, it's not a dinosaur. 
but uh, yeah, you know, it's yeah, still, well, whatever. Yeah, I mean, whatever. You so, know, but what we really want to do is is work with, and there's only there's only there, basically everyone that's working in invertebrate paleontology, they're busy. They're busier than they want to be, and there's not a lot of money in this in this thing. It's you know, a lot of it is, uh, and that's where some of the indignance comes between the academic and the commercial. But isn't that where it's beautiful to have someone like you who's just literally, this is a yeah, hobby like, here, and I want to share this with you guys. I want. I don't want to sell it to you. I want to donate this. Like we, uh, and yeah. to, you know, to, to, to put it on the table, we donated everything that he needed to publish that paper. And I was happy to do it and I'll do it again in a heartbeat. But what we really want to do is, is, is describe a, a trial. Of, and we just, we found, you know, a full some full specimens of, of a new kind of trilobite really? uh, that we would love to, uh, you know, work with some research on, but it, you know, it's, it's tough. You gotta, you know, you're talking about years. Most of these projects are multi-year. Like I think it took almost two years for the algae paper and we had to, we had to shut up about it. And not that, you know, wow. the, the, not that the London press was not knocking down so my you door. you found like, this hey, a while uh, ago. Yeah, we found it. Um, Basically, what what happened was uh, honestly, I thought you went up north, did a thing, and then the next day you were like, "I found a thing," and then, and then he's on, <laughs> yes, he's on to, stage. Uh, <laughs> he's on stage with his guitar, and he says yeah. to the audience, "You'll never guess what I found yesterday." Yeah, and then one guy in the back's like, "Hey, I'm a researcher of uh, Paleozoic botany." Uh, that have been love beautiful. To work with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I still have questions. This thing that you found is it? It doesn't exist anymore. In the world, uh, it has. There, there's similar things still alive today, but yeah. you know whether it's a direct descendant or or a uh, a, a product of um, what do they call that uh, convergent evolution, where mm-hmm. it's like you know you end up with the same result under different circumstances. Like right. there, there's a joke mm-hmm. in evolutionary biology that everything turns into a crab at some point, <laughs> <laughs> and there, there's a lot uh, there's a lot of humor about that. So but. you found it here in Ontario. Yep. Is it, does it exist or did it exist anywhere else in the world? Uh, presumably, yes, because again, those land masses would have been close sure, together. Sure, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. But when you, when you, so, so basically for anything to fossilize, there's thousands of variable conditions that need to be met. And then some, you know, Homo sapiens has got to, oh, look, look at that, and find it, right? You know, it's like there's a, there's got, there, there's so many things that lead up to, finding a, a formation that these things survive at all is a miracle. Um, so, you know, the, the conditions were right here. And even though this thing might've been all over the continent, you know, maybe it didn't preserve anywhere else, right? Because nowhere else had the right conditions. Like there's a chance that there's organisms and things out there that just cease to exist anymore. Oh yeah. We have no, and, and in fact, the, the bulk of all life that has ever existed on the planet, we have no record of it's, it's all again. It's a soft science. We well, weren't see, there, and then it goes, yeah. it goes to like what he was saying. You, how'd you know when you saw this uh, that it was different? And I'm thinking, like you, you kind of rubbed over that question in a oh, way yeah, that yeah, it was yeah. like, well, you know, it looked different, <laughs> and it's like, well. Aren't well, there no, thousands of, or millions of these things, you know, and a hundred million textbooks on all this stuff? Yeah, so, like how many have you seen did, to know that it was different? I yeah, guess, like that's blowing. crazy. So, so in a lot of cases, uh, you know, a formation might, you know, the conditions might only be right for a couple of things, a couple of species in a whole ecosystem of animals okay. to preserve, right? So you, you got to think this was an ocean environment. It's a, mostly a shallow ocean environment. You know, there was, there would have been, you know, like today's environment, you go on a coral reef, you're, you're looking at tens of thousands of animals all kind of living in cooperation with each other to a certain extent. And, hmm. 
you know, normally in a in a fossil uh, situation, you might end up with, you know, even in an area big as the GTA. Underneath the GTA is the Ordovician uh, limestone rocks, like just chock full of stuff. You can't get to it anymore because Toronto's on yeah, it. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> and and lawyers exist, and that's a thing that 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 is you know we can talk about later. But um, you know, you might you might have ten or thirteen trilobite species that are found in this one formation. That's not to say that there was only ten or thirteen existing at the time. That's just what that's the snapshot we have. So it's like kind of like. The fossil record's sort of like walking down a street and taking a Polaroid of things and then trying to write an entire research paper based on that photograph. It's like, right. well, these are the only things that I can see, so this is all that existed. No, 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 no. It's just a snapshot. So there was really only two kinds of algae that, that we've seen. Uh, so we've seen this one kind again and again and again and again called Thalassocystis. And then we found one. So we'd seen basically thousands of this one kind and then we found one of the other kind. And it was so different that it was like, you know, my partner at the time, Mark, we looked at each other. It's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you wow. Know, this is what a, totally what a trip. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I, I want to draw you. I, I can draw it on here. Here. Take a piece oh, of yeah. paper. So, I'll, I'll do a really basic drawing of, of a comparison of the two things. It looks like I'm just drawing a pot leaf. Yeah, it does exactly. For anyone that's not seeing this, <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah, a okay, pot leaf with a Christmas tree under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is fascinating. Um, this is the first time anybody drew a picture in the podcast before <laughs> they signed the table. I'm a yeah, visual true. person. I tend to <clears throat> simultaneously under and over explain things. I, Two, two concepts can exist simultaneously when I'm talking away. I just, I kind of I, it just, it just blows my mind that, um, okay. okay. So two, you know, very, very, very different, I, I, I don't want to say body plan, but essentially the structures, the biological structures of the organism are, are totally different. So okay. the, the one on the left, the, the pot plant looking one, oh, trilobites like the party. Do you guys know that? <laughs> you know everything else was pangea but columbia was still yeah. there baby oh yeah oh yeah baby <laughs> <laughs> um you know the, the uh the, the cystus is on the left and the urtonella is on the right so both algae um both very very er some of the earliest plant life on earth so there's two of them here so uh yeah two th those are the two species so left and right so there's... so which one did exist before that you knew of the one on the left this one Pot and this leaf. is the bugger you found no one in on Earth, even no one had ever existed. seen it before. Yep, yeah, and they they did they did a scanning electron microscope on it. And how often I, does this happen? This this is exciting stuff. Man. Uh, people find yeah. stuff all the time, but you know it's the it's the science side because you know science is it's a slow moving machine, and uh, you know you've got a lot of researchers involved. You got egos. You got grants. There's, you know there's a it's slow moving machinery, and and it. Well, speaking of that, you 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 said Toronto. Uh, I mean, look at America. It's full of major cities. Um, I mean, there's major cities all over the earth, but you can't get under these things. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, like the, the large quarries, so that's what I'm saying, that the only people that win are the lawyers. Is um, there, There's two major factors that hold someone like me back. Um, the first is that you're never, ever, ever going to get into these big quarries. So there, there's, there's a massive hypocrisy with this stuff. And... and 
people get away with it because no one really knows about trilobites. You know, not really. Um, so these massive quarries grind up probably hundreds of thousands of these things every day to, to do road fill and to do driveways. Oh, man, that's interesting. Um, and you can't, me, me as a collector, even with hard hat and all the gear, uh, I can't get in because there's too much liability. Like some multi-million dollar operation is not going to let some guy, like, can I look for fossils in your quarry? You know, maybe a ma and pa one, but you know, th there's just, there's no, there's no um, liability release form that actually releases companies from culpability. If I go and sure. do something stupid and get hurt in their quarry yeah. and they're always operating. Some of these quarries operate 24 seven. So any quarry? Mm. Uh, most quarries, yeah, they're all under the Aggregates Act of Ontario. So, that, so there's, you know, again, they're, 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 you you can find the odd ma and pop quarry where you go in, you meet the person that owns it, you tell them what they're doing, and oftentimes they're like, "Oh man, I've never even heard of this. I see these things on the rocks, but most people don't think about it. It's like it's bottom line. Everyone's got to eat. So you're thinking, well, that this is what I do. I, I quarry rock and I sell it to you know developers and mm -hmm. construction companies. But you know, for me. You know, it, it's sad. You can't get access to these things. And, and I'm always looking for anyone that might know somebody that owns a quarry that's going to let, you know, let me in and take so a look As soon as a drill around. goes into the concrete, you go, ah, yeah. ah. Oh, no. Well, Fuck. If, if there's anyone out there <clears throat> um, that knows of a ma and pa quarry, yeah. where we can send you, uh, they can contact us through our Instagram. Yeah, be, I'm, I'm like a vampire. Yeah. You have to invite me in first. So, ah. yeah. um, so there, there's a kind of a funny um, anecdotal story about the Bowmanville quarry, that massive quarry. So they used to let people in twice a year on an extremely limited uh, area that you could go look. And only when the quarry wasn't, wasn't active, that became once a year. And then COVID happened and we're never getting back in there. Like right. it's, it's done. And the amount of hoops that, that uh, the organizers had to jump through to make that happen was crazy. But we heard from, from the workers there that, uh, there's these massive trilobites called isotelus, and uh, they're up to a foot long. These no things. kidding. This thing? Yep. These bugs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One like this. So Whoa. imagine, you know, just <clears throat> that size and fully 3D, huge eyes, just incredible world-class fossils. And, you know, guys working in the quarry, you've seen the massive rock crushers, those those conveyor belts. Mm -hmm. So the workers, you know, not knowing anything about it other than mm -hmm. i work at a quarry and i crush rocks um they see these things going up the conveyor belt and it's like there goes another turtle they call them oh turtles because it kind of you know sort of basically looks like a turtle shell so it wow. just it, it, th these Jeez. are the things that keep me up at night it's like there goes another turtle and and really like i, I don't want to say prices or anything because i don't want people getting the, any ideas in their heads that this is a labor of love but like you know you're talking about not just scientifically valuable because every museum in the world should have one of these things. And they would have one if we could be rational about, you know, letting people in and, and digging these things out or wow. at least stopping the crusher for five seconds. Let me get that thing off the conveyor belt. You know what I mean? And where's this one? So th this one's in Bowmanville. Okay. Wow. And it's a massive, massive operation, but it cuts through, I think the quarry has seven levels and every level has some kind of trilobite fauna on it. So there's the very lamb formation, the bot cage and, and, and goes up through and uh, you know, there's some incredibly, incredibly rare trilobites that in the very, very limited amount of time I've had in that quarry, we found some, some incredibly rare things. Okay. And so anybody think, out there listening, uh, Bowmanville, must, come on, let me we, Bowmanville, we want access. That must've been a cool experience. I'll, I'll put on a free concert at your quarry. <laughs> That'd be cool. But I have a rider. <laughs> Give me those turtles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Man, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's it's just incredibly funny. It's just fascinating. A, now, would they be the biggest trilobite? No, no. The biggest one... Uh, now, if any, if any uh, fossil guys aren't listening to this, I'll probably take shit for at least 17 points on this. But uh, there's something called a teratospis, which... Uh, allegedly got up to you know i think the biggest ones might have been even up to three feet oh wow like, and this is a bug it's a bug yeah an ocean bug like not not dissimilar dissimilar from a from a lobster or yeah you know, any crustacean now yeah. are lobsters bugs technically yes yeah i mean bug, okay bug there is goes a, is that next bug. meal bug is a massive word yeah that's why they call it the cockroach of the sea i know people call it the chicken of the sea but uh cockroach of wow the sea. wow so, yep Bottom feeder, yeah. God, I can go for a lobster tail. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the of... The government uh, wants you eating bugs. So Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, cannot, I can only imagine the, uh, the upper class. Was, yeah, more steak <clears throat> for us. Let them eat bugs. Yeah. Let the plebs eat bugs. Yeah. Um, That's funny. Speaking of plebs, um, Graham Hancock. Are you a fan? Who's, who did? Do you know, Graham Hancock? Okay. Um... I'm, I, I guess I'm not sure what his title is exactly, but he's been on Joe Rogan, speaking of which, a few times, okay. I think nine times according to his last podcast, but he talks about uh, the human race and civilization and, and uh, you know, how most archaeologists uh, only go back so far and how he, he uh, has found evidence of, uh, of uh, the human race uh, existing far before it and, and different civilizations and all this kind of stuff. But he can't find certain things because uh, um, archaeologists um, don't necessarily like him, and they they just choose to disagree with him for whatever reason that might be. Um, and I imagine that this is uh, uh, an issue across all this stuff: finding dinosaur bones, finding history, finding. Is there anyone who is up at the top? Scientists, perhaps um, anyone trying to discourage someone like you or uh paleontology at all from uh from uh let's say uh dismembering something that we already know as a human race or something that's already being taught um or a curriculum right um does well, that make sense uh yeah yeah it's uh there's a, there's a lot of a lot of meat to that um how do i answer that uh well so the science science is based on the most current information and it's always in flux and uh good science is constantly evolving based on the latest data we have and the problem with science is that science is carried out by people and people are fallible people have egos people have uh mm -hmm. ambitions they have biases they so inherently like we're we're terrible as a species for agreeing on anything so some of the most vitriolic and and hateful shit happens among people that are in the same field but they disagree on a point it's like and trilobites I, I i often find the the culture around it very frustrating because what trilobite guys do is just fight with other trilobite guys you know we're arguing over something that is essentially a blue sky interest right it has no bearing it's, they're not going to pop out and cure cancer like it's we're talking about a niche interest that's fascinating and it tells us about the history of our planet but you got guys that are very, very passionate about their opinion and their bias. And, you know, this this goes here and that goes there. And you see that all over science. Science science is so full. And, you know, as a, as a younger guy and as a kid, 
I idolized scientists, biologists, people doing the work and, uh, you know, dedicating their life to the furthering of human knowledge, the knowledge base for our species. But then you start to meet these guys and you realize that, man, this is all bullshit. We're all fighting over everything and no one can agree on anything. And on the point of a guy like Joe Rogan and the types of people he has on this show, it's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And science isn't always interesting. Uh, facts aren't always interesting, as we know from, well, I mean, just to just pick something out of the air, the political climate in the U.S. Truth does not matter in our society anymore. All that matters is having a strong and heated opinion about something and that you got to fight with other people. And then other people see that and they're like, well, all of a sudden that's sexy. That's interesting. Like, no, this guy's against the world here. Like, he might be a crackpot. He might be completely wrong. But when you don't know enough about the other source materials, you know, we all get drawn into that. It's almost like a reality TV show. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not real. It's not real science that's being argued. We're arguing about opinions and ambition and uh, att- wanting attention. And so I, I think yeah. people, people are fallible, which makes science fallible. So, you know, if archaeologists are cutting this guy out, I bet they're probably just too busy fighting with each other. You know, like no one can agree on anything in science, in, in government, in, uh, in human relations. Like you know, we're, we're really antagonistic as a species. So big time, man. So I don't know. I hope that answers your question a little no, bit. No, it, it does. It does. It does. <clears throat> people have their opinions, I mean, and <clears throat> right or wrong. And like I said before, people, are, people won't admit they made mistakes. If no. I if I tell you that this is the truth of what my my science is for the last thirty five years, and then you go out into the desert and discover something, yeah, you get defensive about it. <laughs> please don't 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 even talk to me because mine's right. I can't yeah. admit now that I've been wrong for thirty five years. Yeah, I mean we're talking about relatively, you know, we're we're moving at lightning pace when it comes to our understanding of the world around us, and you know if you think. It's a blink of an eye. In a hundred years, basically, the, at the turn of the century in the early 1900s, well, late 1800s, early 1900s, the Bone Wars. I don't know if you've ever heard about these two idiots, um, the Bone Cope, Wars. Yeah, Cope and Marsh. Uh, these two paleontologists, naturalists, basically rich boys that went out and looking for dinosaurs. They were in competition with each other to find the most dinosaur species. So you're talking about these two idiots. Um, and they would they would hire thugs to go into each other's camps, destroy their finds, plant finds, steal finds, uh, you know, really, really sordid. And, and essentially, you still see that same behavior done in a different way today. Um, and it's so it, it's a very it, it's so pathetic and it's crazy. But this, this is the this is the history. This is the, 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 the birthing pain of the field of paleontology. Like this is where. You know, this is this is where these idiots come from. It's you know, but it all comes to human ego, and you know. Mm-hmm. So for me, I try to, you know, I enjoy it for enjoyment's sake, and you know, I got roped in early on. Uh, you know, everyone wants to fight with you and argue, and I found that it's just better to just enjoy the thing for its sake than than to to die on a hill that means nothing to nobody, and you just look like an idiot. Well, I mean, what's the <laughs> point of all this? If you can't, if you're not going to enjoy it, what's the sense exactly, of even yeah. discovering anything or writing it down or anything? Yeah, I anything mean, at all. 
if like, it's not worth enjoying. So some of the, the specific work that goes goes into the I mean they're taking measurements and, and they're describing new species because you know this cephalic rim is is one millimeter wider, therefore it's a new species. Like okay, bud, you know that's fine, but you know I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna post about it on the internet. I'm not gonna start fights with strangers because I feel so passionately. I'm passionate about the passion for it for its own sake, not. You know, not trying to improve my status in the paleontological community or anything like that. It's a so this algae you hmm. you you found, mm -hmm. and then so has it been widely accepted in the paleontological oh, world? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, Cambridge University Press it went in. Um, oh my God, the uh, Journal of Paleontology published it. So it's it's in the it's in the scientific jargon. It's it's out. It's pretty so badass. It's a, yeah, it's it's a it's a thing that's out there. And I mean, uh, do you have a tattoo of it? No, no. Uh, we, <laughs> I did joke about so uh, on the lower back. My, my wife wanted to to, to get it, it, but you know the, the the specimens we found they're they're you know they're the only ones there are, but they're still pretty scrappy, right? You know, yeah. it's a uh, so um, no, so you found how big is this specimen? Um, this one, I would say, the whole plant is about. Four about that big, four inch. Okay, yeah, about like 12, 13 centimeters. And you found across. one. Okay. We yeah, I think we found I think we found three plates of these things. Okay. Yeah, in total, and uh, I've still got one at the lab that I got to cut down. But uh, you know, it it really it doesn't look like much, but it's you know it's cool that it's something new and absolutely that's and it's, awesome. And they're very rare. Like you know, we find them like a thousand to one from one species to this new this, this new one. So what are the chances you're going to find this thing again? As long as we keep going up there, very good. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a numbers game. You just keep going. Like, uh, hmm. I was, I was out digging on uh, Wednesday, uh, and I got into the ravine and everything was full of snow and ice. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I find a rock, split it open, trilobite, first hit, never happened before. Found a no good way. trilobite. The <laughs> next 800 rocks that I split, nothing, <laughs> not a goddamn thing. Wow. So it's, uh, you know, it's a numbers game. You just, it, the only way you're, you're for sure not going to find something is if you just stop looking. Sure. Now of I course. think I yeah. think of the one guy who's digging, and he just he goes through a bone and fuck. Oh, oh yeah, fuck. Oh yeah. So you mentioned that earlier. Oh man, does it happen? Like, and honestly, the type of rock where this comes from in Arcona, this stuff essentially sits absorbing water because where you find the stuff is where like a stream or a river will cut through the formation, and now it's exposed on the banks, right? Mm. So a lot of this formation, it's mostly under farmers' fields because it's all farmland out there. So uh, you can't farm in ravines, and if farmers could, there would be crops in ravines, but they, they can't. So, uh, And that's often where you find these things. So they're very fragile. So they're wet. It's wet rock. Hmm. When you split them open, this thing has been trapped in the rock for hundreds of millions of years. The pressures that it's under, when you release it, pieces go flying like birthday confetti. And wow! Uh, really? So, so you know, part of my job is is re you know, re putting these things back together piece by piece under a microscope. And wow, it's a pain in the ass. Unbelievable! I love man. it, but it's a pain in the ass. I, yeah. There's birthday confetti. I th I like to think that in, in my, that was that was my the visual I had. <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's no! good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a trip. Are are there paleontological whatever um, <laughs> uh, tourists? Like just the average person on uh, the weekend yeah, going up, yeah, uh, banging yeah. away. So actually, that's one thing that, that I get a lot of messages over is do you do you ever chaperone trips? And my answer is always hell no. Um, but 
I always, you know, and, and anyone who messages me question. with questions, I always, and I usually yeah, end I up spending to put a like group 40 together. minutes. <laughs> I always, always spend like 40 minutes writing a huge, long, helpful email, and they usually never even say thanks. But uh, I always refer people to joining their local fossil and mineral club. Sure. Because what that will do for you is they will have access to sites, private sites, that would be normally... Uh, the difference between a trespasser and being there legally is usually being attached to a fossil club. That's right. usually the that difference. That makes sense. So I, you know, and that's and that's how I started, and that's where you meet like-minded people, and you can kind of decide how you. How it can. It doesn't have to be this. It can be. I want to take my kids out there for a weekend. You know, and and you can do that kind of thing. But the hmm. the sites that are legal that the fossil clubs have access to would be pretty much picked over. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And so, yes, yes they so are. So let's go do something illegal. <laughs> so you're trying to discover these things while trying to discover the right geographical location. Yeah. I mean, I imagine yeah. every it feels like the world has been run like you oh, yeah. know everything's fenced, poked and man. prodded. Yeah, everything's fenced. Everything's owned. Uh you know the the waterways. That's one sort of way to circumvent the legality. Is that there's you know there's certain laws involving waterways and stuff that you know it's crown land. But really, I would say that uh, you know the type of commercial paleontology that I do is is barely tolerated, and it's only legal and a gray area legal in Ontario and Quebec. Every other every other province, it's basically illegal to take anything. Right. And what's so, the point of that? You go out in the crown land. I mean, you just so this is the problem with, with commercial versus academic. <clears throat> the academics don't believe that we should be allowed to have anything. You know, you're a pleb. You don't have a PhD. You didn't go to school for this. You don't deserve to have it. You can't have it. You can't sell it. We don't want you to, even if it's a species that they've got, you know, there's, there's types of trilobites they've got. They've got tons of them that they're on. Like, we've learned all we can from this species. We really have. But People don't like that I find them. And the difference between is those who do and those who sit around on their computer and complain. Uh, I go out and I go out in the field and dig. And so the advantage I have is that that I'm willing to do the prison work to yeah. get down to the rock, to, to split the rock. And I have, you know, I have some, uh, I have some good relationships with some of the farmers out there and, and I've got permission to go on their land and do this kind of thing. What about mines? Um, mines... So, especially in Canada, like, uh, that rock is so much older, pre-Cambrian, so older than the first life forms uh, on Earth, so types of granite and, you know, or if they're quarrying other types of minerals, usually those two things don't come into each other. Okay. Um, where they do cross paths is, um, you know, in South America, like phosphate mines, um, sometimes they'll find, like, Miocene stuff, like big megalodon teeth and things like that they might find, but... Uh, Typically, as as it relates to what I do, mining and fossils don't really cross paths. Okay. Um, now, the Temiskaming area where uh, we've been working this project and we found that new uh, a new kind of trilobite and a new uh, that Earl Tanella algae, um, that area is famous for its mining. Obviously, they found a ton of gold up there. There's a massive gold uh, uh, operation Um to uh, to gold, I can't remember what, even what it's called, but they got a massive plant up there, and um, diamonds too, way up way up north. They, uh, but that never crosses paths with me. Okay, a friend of mine owns an amethyst mine. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm just up in uh, near Bancroft or uh, something, somewhere up north. Yep. Cool. But I could get access if, in fact, you can find stuff there. But if not, no amethyst. Uh, you, know, 
I mean, it would be cool to find amethyst. I'm not really a, a mineral guy, but I've, I've heard that the, uh, from a, from a really well-known, uh, trilobite guy who's, who's a friend of mine, um, he, you know, he runs this, uh, soft tissue quarry out of New York, but he also does a lot of stuff looking for garnets and, you know, other types of, you know, panning for, uh, for gemstones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he says it's like the thrill is just you know, to find stuff. It's, it's off the charts because that stuff's actually worth money. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. Yeah. 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 So uh, I've always been interested. I always want to try gold panning sometime, but uh, and that would be the place yeah. to do it up north. But uh, you know, again, like you're into all the same issues. You like, can do it at the carnival. Yeah, maybe I will. I just pay for a bucket of sand. And <laughs> they already know there's like six flakes of gold in there. Right. right? <laughs> Twenty bucks, please. And it's not yeah. real. <laughs> this is fascinating. It is incredibly fascinating. All right on. Um, does the diving when you when you go because you're obviously you're really into diving I've yeah. seen all your pictures and stuff beautiful stuff um, obviously nature boy in every way <laughs> in every yeah. manner um, do you look for things when you're out doing that you all said you time. found some stuff yep okay so all you're always time. you're always looking whether you're yep. underwater or on land yep always looking I mean like and it, you can find some cool stuff when you're diving especially shallow diving. Like I found, you know, you find like a stingray barb like this and it's just sitting there and, you know, tuck it into your, into your BCD. Okay. So speaking Man. of illegal, can, is that, <laughs> is that legal when you're underwater? Well, you know, obviously I didn't take it home, Randy, you know, I wouldn't do something no, like that. No, of course not. You put it back. <laughs> I put it back. Actually, I you know I did, I did the responsible thing in today's very eco-sensitive. I found the stingray that it came off of and I glued it back on. Good. And, uh, yeah, and I sent him on his way. A little pat and on, pat on the bottom. Did he say good. thank you? He did. It was kind of like a little, you know, they got it like a frill, so it's kind of like a, you know, yep. a nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've so seen that. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> very, very ecologically responsible. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Wicked. Okay, good. Well, that's uh, that's that's fascinating. Uh, I don't, I don't know where to go with this. It's crazy. <laughs> there's yeah. so there's so many avenues. So with diving and fossils. Uh, been on tour uh and it's taken me to florida a couple times when i was with mud men and uh they do uh charters for finding are you familiar with the megalodon well the i yeah. thought yeah. it wasn't yeah. real i thought I, it was made up for he the, saw the for jurassic park yeah. he or, saw or, the or whatever it was yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah yeah the meg with jason statum yeah i can't believe um, that it's it's real okay yeah it's a real animal uh they're not probably not as big as the original estimates said the original estimates were like oh this thing's like 70 feet long probably more like 45 50 feet which that's still you know, pretty big yeah it's kind of like well you know it's, it's only a 14 inch machete that went through my neck you yeah, know it's, it's like, a big fish well you can't put big. it in a tank and put it in your room exactly sure. no no not <laughs> not for long anyway but uh, you know you can you can charter these trips and they take you out to dive sites and it's called uh, uh, muck diving, low visibility diving. Essentially, you find them with your hands. You can't really can't see anything uh, or silt diving. Uh, what a lot of guys do is they'll take a, an underwater scooter and they'll point the scooter fan at and the sediment, just load the sediment up. Yep. Oh, okay. And, uh, and but I've booked I've booked dive trips to do this meg hunting twice uh, on both tours that, that that took me down there and both times the cold front came in and, and so one day i'm going to do the meg diving trip but that's that's sort of the combination of fossil hunting and diving that and sharks too like come on you yeah hell yeah can't lose there so no if you were to do the meg diving and and i find that the the theme of the mud men the muck and yeah the little yeah mud huts i found that interesting yeah, as well. it's all about the muck yeah. all about the muck getting dirty if yeah. you find a megalodon tooth 
under the silt. Mm-hmm. Do you get to keep that? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. How um, big is a megalodon? Oh tooth? man, they it varies. Uh, Forty-five, so fifty-foot shark. <laughs> what what you want to find? I mean, there's the holy grail tooth. You know, the, it's the one that everyone posts pictures of, but only you know so many people find. And and I'll tell you what, it's kind of like anything else in in collecting. You don't give away your sights. Right. right. So everybody wants to get into this kind of thing. And I, I use every, the term everybody pretty loosely here in the, in the context. Everybody that likes fossils wants to find, you know, a, a big fossil. But the large, I think the largest megalon tooth ever found was just a little over seven inches. So, you know, that's like a, over a pound. That, yeah, I mean, that is a huge. <laughs> over a pound. And, uh, you know, it's massive, just a massive tooth. But on average, you know, most, most, you know, probably like three inches, three to four inches is kind of what you'll find. And, and in a lot of cases, you know, these things have been Jesus sitting on the ocean floor for, for a million, two million years. A lot of times they're heavily damaged, you know, yeah, massive, Man. He's a big boy. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, fu- um, and he's got several of them in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Up to 300. Yeah. Wow. Now, have we and, found anything that we thought was dead and is still alive today? Well, the most famous example is, of course, the uh, the coelacanth, which the is a coelacanth? really coelacanth. Okay. It's a, not a coelacan. It's a coelacanth. Can't. It's got a lisp. Can't. It's got a lisp. Yeah. Okay. Coelacanth. <laughs> um, what is that? It, it's a it's a massive fish, incredibly primitive. Uh, you know, we have some on the fossil record, and I think it was in the forties. Uh, some longline fishermen found found one. And since several Jesus. have been found, but okay, yeah, alive, we thought, we, yeah, alive. We thought they were extinct, and they, uh, you know, they ended and up. And what being are the chances a, something like this could happen again? Um, so the, the the term that a lot of paleontologists hate is the term "living fossil." Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, human we humans get around, but the ocean floor is kind of like you know the last undiscovered country a little bit, where mm-hmm. you know there's still a possibility of things like it stands to reason that no one's probably going to find a trilobite or a megalodon but you know there might be some stuff that we haven't seen yet that could be down there i mean hmm. one of the earth has has had a, a pretty uh, wild history of extinction events there's been five major extinction events and I, one of the one of the theories is that the acidification of the oceans is something that wiped out um you know uh the end of the uh permian period massive extinction event uh, something like 80% of all life wiped out. Um, so what's left has to evolve to and change to suit its environment uh, and then basically paves the way for all these new species to come in and, and change and evolve. Um, but there's certain things, there's certain theories, again, that where... Uh, sorry, I thought I heard seagulls for a second. Maybe it's because I'm talking about the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, uh, what the hell is it going on? Oh, so uh, for instance, um, squid and octopus. Okay. They they have a lot of um, they're descended from, uh, you know, aliens species that lived. Yeah, that's one of the <laughs> one of the theories. Honestly, maybe they are uh, they're totally bizarre. One one of my favorite things is octopus and, and watching them uh, in the wild. But uh, wow, the uh, you know, a lot of octopus squid ancestors had um, they had uh, shells. And uh, none of our modern day ones have like true shells. There, there's some species of octopus that produce like an egg case and, and things like that. And a lot of cuttlefish will actually have a remnant of that shell uh, called a cuttle bone that's, that's inside the body that people don't really know what the hell it's for, but 
it's actually a holdover, an evolutionary holdover from from them. And the theory, the theory is that a lot of these animals went to way deeper water to escape the acidification, and they, they changed to suit their environment. And wow. As, okay. as conditions became favorable again, you know, life moves wherever there's a, you know, nature hates a vacuum, and so does power. But um, that's essentially... Uh, the hell was the question? I, I'm bad for tangents. Oh man, I don't even know anymore. I'm just interested. In what you're saying. <laughs> who, who is this person? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, I don't know what we were talking about, but um, this—that's fascinating. That they would go deeper to get away from the acidification of the of the water. That's one of the theories. I'm not. I'm not going to die on that hill. But PBS did a very compelling special on it. Okay. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> PBS. Yeah, is it why did why did cephalopods lose their shells? Something something to that effect, and that is really neat. It's a really compelling theory, and you know it's uh, and and you see a lot of deep sea cephalopods cephalopod species that didn't come back into shallow water, and uh, you know some of these things okay. they, they dive deep like you know thousands of feet below you know into the midnight zone of the ocean. There's there's got to be stuff down there that. It's just mind bending. Oh yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, even like a, a squid, like these giant squid, like they got like an eyeball like this. It's yeah, just, you know the Humboldt squid. They come out, you know, they they come thousands of feet up out out of the water column uh, to feed at night in the Sea of Cortez, and you know just and they'll attack divers and stuff too. They're, if you if you dive with them, you have to wear a shark suit because they attack divers. Wow, it's, it's, it's cool. What's down there? You know, it's again like yeah, it sounds really cool. There's a, there's, a nuts, man. there's a combination <laughs> the of, of, of uh, nature show going the reality route and blowing things out of proportion. A great example is dart frogs. It's like, oh, they, just one milligram of this toxin will kill 10 adult men. It's like, yes, refined in the lab and injected directly into his neck. Okay. But, you know, the frog, you can touch <laughs> the frog and you're not going to die, provided you don't, you know, wipe it on a open wound. But it, it's just a... You know, nature is terrifying for different reasons, and usually not the way that nature shows present them. But humble, yeah, humble yeah. squid, honestly, give me a bit. Well, you have to do that on nature show, otherwise it won't sell. That's right. Yeah, because so you got to appeal to the, the general public, and the general public's not interested in nature. Not not really. Not really. Yeah, well, but the, they're interested in yeah. a frog that can kill you. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, but that's the same reason they're not necessarily interested. In trilobites, but they're interested in raptors and yeah, dinosaur. People love a predator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big teeth and tearing stuff apart. Yeah. How many kids say their favorite dinosaur is a Diplodocus or a you know Ankylosaurus or something? It's like no man, it's philosophy. Most kids can't say those words. So what did a trilobite eat? So we we don't know for sure. Again, no one was there, but the. You know, a very compelling theory is that they probably ate like nematodes, like little soft-bodied worms. Um, another theory is that uh, that they may have been uh, filter feeders to a certain extent, just like modern-day crabs and lobsters are filter feeders to a certain extent. Ex- explain to me filter feeder. So, if you ever seen videos of crabs, they, they you know they kind of reach out these little fronds. They look like feathery mm-hmm. little appendages, and they're actually catching things out of the water column. So there's there's all these nutrients that that come in and, and float around with the tide, plankton. You know, like tiny, like micronutrients that they uh, that they sort of catch in these little comb-like structures. So that that's another you know possibility with trilobites. Okay. Now I imagine that the stuff that trilobites is eaten uh, is that stuff uh, is interesting to anyone as um, the well, trilobite. The problem is it generally doesn't fossilize because it, so so ninety nine percent of the time, actually probably more than ninety nine ninety nine point nine percent of the time. 
Did you know that all uh, about 87% of all percentages is made up on the spot? I'm 100% sure that's true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Please, nobody check my figures. This is, let me have this. <laughs> um, what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> oh, the, just the food. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah, the, the food, yeah. You so, know. so a lot of these, um, you know, generally when things fossilize, it's the hard parts that fossilize, yeah, right? So yeah, that makes sure. sense. You know, it, it's the shell, the trilobite. You know, uh, so so my buddy um, Marcus, who, who's done, he's made incredible contributions to uh, to paleontology, and, and he's based out of New York. Um, he runs this uh, the Beecher site, and I've got to go down there and, and dig that site. and um, It's a world-famous site. He finds, uh, not all the time, but he does find these soft-bodied worms, uh, polychaete worms, so like armored worms, and, you know, basically soft tissue fossils of, of some of these microorganisms that normally don't get preserved in the fossil record. So he's found all kinds of new stuff. Wow. Just work in a soft tissue site, yeah. Wow. Um, so sure, they're interesting, but, you know, trilobites are a severe niche interest in the niche interest of paleontology. Um, if you're into Paleozoic worms, like I can't imagine you and the other five guys that you know are, are constantly arguing. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder the um, the importance of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, to I me, don't know. To me, in my opinion, and and it's only my opinion, is because a lot of these guys, like it's it's almost religious. Like they're they're so into this stuff, um, and its importance. For me, I, I always think it's it's a blue sky interest. Um, it, it's I think it's important to know about where we came from and the history of this planet but but look look at us as a species we can't agree on anything we're we're, we're yeah, awful yeah again i don't want to get in the habit of quoting joe rogan but he did this this one comedy special and he's like have you ever looked at la from the air and he's like have you ever looked at mold on a piece of bread it's the same thing like it's this spreading mold mm. and that's humanity too and that's that's yeah, us yeah. and it's just like well <laughs> who's going to care about this this beautiful little 460 million year old worm when you know you can't even get Bubba to to throw his Tim Hortons cup in the freaking garbage, so it's right. I, I think everything's relative, and I, do I think it's important? Yes. Uh, do I blame anyone for not finding it's important? No. It's it's just you know it's whatever you're into. But we've also not we. I have nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure that things have been found that are beneficial to the world, um, cures for diseases, different plants. Oh yeah, yeah, especially. Um, I mean, it's questionable because a lot of, I think a lot of pharmaceutical companies have a lot of operations going on in South America. There's been some, I don't want to cite any particular events just in case I don't have them correct, but there's been a lot of severely unethical conduct, but you know, that specifically South America, but mostly with living things, because there's only so much you can learn from something that's dead and something that's essentially a photograph of what the animal was. So you're not going to learn anything about it's, it's true biology, biological structures and how that might impact, you know, it, that it might carry a bacterium that's good for clearing up, uh, you know, some kind of psoriasis or like, we'll never have that, that type of information. Living species, absolutely. Like, you know, especially in the field of botany, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, mycotoxins, um, mycotoxin, no, what the hell is a plant toxin? Crap. I call them plant toxins. So these plant toxins, <laughs> can do all kinds of fascinating things. And same with, you know, there's a lot of research being done on frogs. Like uh, a lot of the frogs that I work with, um, you know, Stanford University gets frogs all the time because they're doing all these research studies on, on, you know, different elements of their biology and how it, you know, if we can find useful things in it. Although I think hmm. the last 
lunch they got was about a color study. They're doing a study on colors. I don't know. Well, so this frogs. Yeah, so this is my third weird job. We've only covered. I was just about gonna. Yeah, I was of, gonna say of, you got a frog thing, man. Yeah. So <laughs> my uh, uh, my former partner in the fossil thing, uh, you know, brought me into his world, and uh, twenty years ago, uh, he was essentially the first gringo to. Uh, to go down to Peru and navigate. He has a Peruvian business partner named Manuel. And the two of them, uh, you know, did something amazing. They, uh, they essentially, there's all these frogs that are in Canada now because of Mark and Manuel and the work they did in Peru. And they essentially navigated the bureaucracy and figured out how to get CITES permits and, uh, and how to, uh, you know, they've described new species of frogs and stuff like that. And so when I met, Mark about five or six years ago, um, we met through fossils and, uh, and I remember messaging him one time and he, and he wrote back and he said something to the effect of, Hey man, my internet signal spotty right now. I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, the Amazon right now. Uh, so, you know, I'll get back to you when I get back to the hotel kind of thing. It's like, what the fuck are you doing in the Amazon? He's like, Oh, well it's, you know, it's not a big deal, but I, this is what I do. It's like, what? <laughs> like you, you sell dart frogs all over the world. And so he is probably wow. He's probably the single biggest exporter of frogs. He, at least for you know in in his heyday, probably in the world, he was exporting more frogs than anyone on earth. He's got one named after him. Like it's uh, really so. I came in and, and and I got I got to see the operation when it was kind of winding down. At one point, he had seven hundred breeding groups, two massive barns full of animals. And, uh, all frogs, all frogs. Yeah. Frogs, toads, tree frogs, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, um, essentially he was winding down and then, and then he was going to get out of it. And, and I kind of said to him, well, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm missing out on an opportunity here. And it was kind of like, like a light went off in his head. He's like, do you want to do this? I was like, yeah. So we kind of, now since then things have changed a little bit in the balance of our dynamics and, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into any of that, but you know, I am involved in a, in a certain, in a certain way. I, I work with the, uh, Eggs and tadpoles. That's my department. So I collect eggs, hatch them out. I raise the tadpoles, and I take the young froglets and and uh, put them into the grow up bins, and then he takes it from there. But we do the expos in Toronto, uh, export all over the world. And where do you get them? So they're they're original. They're all captive bred. So we we breed everything ourselves. Um, but they're all, uh, you know, he got them from all over the place. Like oh, know, I see. Had, okay. So you know, there's frogs from Colombia. Um, you know, there was some stuff even as far as Madagascar, but the, the bulk of it, really what he was known for was the Peruvian species. So he went to Peru and, uh, you know, got property down there. Basically, he, I can't remember how many times he'd been down there, but he'd go down for five, six months at a time. He speaks fluent Spanish. He's, uh, you know, he did all the work down there to get these animals here into the pet trade. Yeah. Andrew's sister, was it Peru? Yeah. She was down there um, studying psychedelics, um, ayahuasca. I heard that on the other, yeah, so ayahuasca, so... Uh, but she did a prog thing with uh, uh, whatever, some kind of slime that goes on the back of the frog, and they put it on a wound, they burn your skin, and they yeah. put it on the burn. Yeah. And it, and it, 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 and it fucks you up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah it'll, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so our frogs are a little boring, only because uh, a captive bred frog 
is totally harmless. You could eat them like popcorn if you wanted to, if you were some kind of sick Weird, person. Weird, drug-eating person. Yes. Because they're, they're not generating the poisons because yeah. of they're not out there. So it's called uh, sequestering. So okay. uh, uh, a sequestered toxin. So they actually get their toxins from the environment. So they, they eat these little ants and beetles and things naturally. Frogs... Frogs are totally the non-fussy eaters. They're like, if it fits in my face, I am eating that shit. If they were the size of us, human, the human race would be probably, well, there wouldn't be 8 billion of us anyway. So the, <laughs> the toxicity of the animal comes as from eating something else? Yes. Yep. Sequestered toxin. Yep. And some of these toxins, there's, again, this is where the nature shows do us a bit of a disservice with the, uh, the dramatization, but... Um, there's a, a frog we work with called uh, Phyllobates terribilis, which I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it's it's the mo- <laughs> you know it's the most toxic frog. It's like don't even look at it. Oh, it's coming right for us. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> although they are very enthusiastic eaters, and that would be the if that frog was the size of a car, like that's the one I would avoid all the wow. time. They are very enthusiastic. Yeah, they'll like when they're getting fed, they like jump straight into the air. And but um, so yes, when. So, so a lot of these other poison dart frogs, and by and large, most of them are imitated. They're imitating a color pattern that predators perceive as, again, this comes into the risk benefit uh, of evolution. Creating toxins is very expensive for an organism, right? So um, it's why like a lot of venomous snakes, they often dry bite because it costs them a, a lot of mm-hmm. resources oh, to sure. create these toxins, right? And uh, so with mm. frogs, it's, it's very much the same. Um, a lot of them are imitating other species. There's literally a whole, uh, you know, species of uh, imita- They're called imitators, and they they imitate more poisonous frogs. But essentially, with with the Terribla species, you've got a frog that, you know, you could technically wipe down and get the toxin onto it. Let's say a dart. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say a poison arrow, like the poison arrow frog. Uh, and then there's other kinds that that um, you know the natives would roast them until the milky, you know, the toxins would come out and they would coat the dart that way too, right? So only toxic when eaten to a, to a predator. Um, but you have to take, uh, so I, I'm quoting Mark here just in case some biologists are like, you are absolutely wrong. Uh, you know, w- what he says about the Terribilis in the wild, he's like, you know, you could pick one up. Your hand might go numb. Just make sure you don't have any cuts on your hand because it's a tetrodotoxin. It's incredibly effective on the human nervous system. But, uh, you know, have you ever done of, that? You ever no, one? no, okay. no, I'm not, not going to pick one up. No, no they're, um, <laughs> and they're a Col- um, Colombian species. I, so I've, I've been I to see. Peru. Uh, I have not been to Colombia yet. Okay. Okay. But, uh, and I've got to see a lot, you know, a lot of the frogs that, that we, that, that I work with every day, I've got to, you know, go down and see them in the wild in the cloud forest and, in in uh, Terrapoto. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, kind of cool. That is cool. Um, side, side thing. I once worked with a, uh, a frog wrangler cool on a set in a yeah in a commercial Nice. (laughs) it was actually kind of funny i think she's an animal wrangler but it was really funny we were uh we were doing a subaru spot and we're and there's i guess a uh maybe a moment in in the commercial uh where i don't even know if i'm allowed to say any of this i'm sure i can but uh just a little a little dirt road kind of thing and uh the we're we're all out there looking at the location and doing some prep work um and um and uh the director says okay so right here we would have the frog and he asks the lady well so what what uh what do you need to do and she says well i'll just probably find a frog 
and then I'll put it where do you want it? Well, maybe right here. Yeah, I'll probably just put it there. <laughs> it was so funny. Like she was so like uh there's not much to this, yeah, you know. Like, it was hilarious. The frog's gonna do what it's gonna do too, especially <laughs> a wild frog. It's like I was trying to shoot um, the album cover for the last Factory City album, and you know, there's a song on it called "King of Frogs." So I really wanted to have this this graphic of this. I bought this really realistic human skull, and I wanted to have the frog sitting on it. And I'm oh. lying in the mud with the, with the camera. We're doing the shoot, and uh, and we could not get a frog to cooperate. I should I should have gotten her number. It's like. <laughs> Well, what are you gonna? What do you need? What are you gonna do? Huh? I guess I'm gonna find a frog. And I'm gonna put it there. Put it right like, there. Awesome, that'd be great. Because I've been trying that all day. We had to settle on a toad, so we've actually got a toad on the front cover of the record. And because the toad, toads are great. Toads wow, are so weird. charismatic. It just sat there. And, but uh, you know, the frog was like you know, in between frames, you would see like you know, the skull, and you got the background, and there would just be a blur in these two feet, <laughs> in the upper right corner or whatever. Hilarious, yeah. man. Frog wrangler. Imagine. I, I, it's so silly. So it's it funny as hell. I've done some some frog wrangling, uh, helping uh, Mark out on some uh, photo shoots. So like uh, okay. another friend of mine, a wildlife photographer, um, he uh, he basically he does these workshops, and so there's a frog workshop, and and so his photography company um, sort of partnered up with Understory Enterprises, which is Mark's company, and uh, uh, his name is Andrew McLaughlin, fantastic photographer. A photographer. I don't know why I said that weird. Sorry, Andrew. Um, <laughs> That's all right. And, uh, you know, so he would bring in like, you know, eight to 10 people and we would set up little sort of diorama sort of backgrounds. Often nothing to do with frogs in the natural environment. It'd be like a flower in sure. a vase. <laughs> and you've got this poison dart frog on like, on like a flower from Singapore. It's like, well, whatever. You just because it it's looks just, pretty. It's visual, something. right? Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the, nature's amazing as it is, but like, it's just like, what? It just looks good. You know, it's, it's sunflower. I know. North American sunflower and, and a South American frog. And uh, so we would wrangle frogs. And, and the photographers always want the frogs to do something ridiculous. Like, can we get the frog like hanging by one toe and put its arm out this way? It's like, oh my God. It's a frog. It has its own ideas. Can of what it it's give us do. a thumbs up? Yeah. Can it? can you get it yeah. to look at the frame no yeah. seriously like uh and I, I know i'm sure lots of people have things to say about photographers but it you know it, it, it's funny what you want it's like it's a frog it i could i could talk to it all day long and it's still just gonna do what it's gonna do okay so we we work in film but uh you know and everyone knows that it's it's not real you know you can go to a marvel movie it's not real does but, everyone know it's not real well no you're i'm with i'm with you <laughs> Yeah, often or not, I have, uh, I've, you know, I look at my buddy watching a movie, very questioning, what? Um, but then, you know, then there's reality TV. They call it reality TV, but I've, I've been behind scenes of some things like that as well, and uh, it just isn't. It's fully um, scripted, yeah. It's totally. fully, yeah. all this stuff is fully scripted, and it, it, it's unbelievable. So, what about a National Geographic documentary. Oh, such what a, about such a, a good question. Yeah, you got Dave, you were imitating yeah, David Attenborough yeah. earlier. Yes, I was. I love, I lo Sir David is my, oh, you know, if there was one human being on earth I could meet, it would be, it would be Sir David. Okay. And he did a great spot on Trilobites too, by the way. And he is a, a voice for, because um, all these sites all over the world are getting locked down by governments. They're like, even in Morocco, they're like, okay. no, no more digging, no more fossil collecting. But if David comes to the door. If David has said, he's like, you know, you're, 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 you're cutting off the foot despite the leg you know you're 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 removing an opportunity to to be interested 
you know, to be interested in something, there's a reason why nostalgia sells. If you love something when you're a kid, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be a passion for you when you're older. Hmm. And, and you're not letting these kids have any access to this stuff. So you're, you are killing earth sciences by, by doing this shit. But so to the point that, that you made, so again, my, uh, my former partner, Mark, it's weird to say that anyway, we're, we're still buddies. Um, he uh he talked about he this drama the, for the last yeah, this hour. Drama. there's a there's um uh he's worked with the, B- the bbc extensively okay so um he's gone and, and i've heard all the stories about it and uh you know you get all these these really stuffy english photographers down and they they sit in a closet for like hours and and they're, they're constantly trying to get the right shot and we're waiting for the frog to do this and it, it is and it's, all, it's, accent, it's all staged it's all sure staged. it is yeah um which is fine because they're they're what they're doing is they're emulating the natural behaviors, so they're really not far off the mark. But essentially, you're waiting for, you know, uh, the, a male frog to start calling. Only the males call. Uh, generally, I can't. Generally, only the males. How, how does it sound? Uh, well, so so yeah. Um, let's see. There's. A, does it sound like a seagull? Uh, no. <laughs> so there's there's frogs that that croak. You know, it's it's. it's no, ba- yeah. <laughs> basic bitch frogs that croak and then uh you know a lot of them have trills like <clears throat> you know things like that okay and, uh, um there's uh the phyllobates terribilis uh it, I, I call it like a gibbering call it's kind of like a monkey's call show and, us that uh, one uh <laughs> I, I, i'm good i'm good at mimicry but only in the moment so i i believe i have a uh a sound recording of it let me see if i can pull it up here really yeah you I, have a what is it? Bill? Uh, I should have a... What? I, uh, I can't even <laughs> say the word. <laughs> da, 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 da. That, the hold music's good, though. This is all really incredibly fascinating stuff. Man. No, it's not that. Let's see. see this is all mixed in with uh, song ideas and stuff. It's all good. I think oh. that the audience can look up their own darn sounds. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Just look up any frog, and chances are the first hit is going to be that frog with the word call next to it. Um, but the calls are varied. So, you know, there's all kinds of different calls, and, and there's there's territorial calls and um, different length of sequences. Like there's, a, uh, you know, pamilio. It's kind of like like almost like a quacking sound. Hmm. Um, hmm. Again, you know, it's weird. I can I can do it in the because I can call to them and they'll start singing and stuff. Really? Uh, and you know what? You know what song they they actually love? Uh, there's that one Led Zeppelin song with the with the whistle in it. Uh, I I feel bad. I can't remember the name of the song, but every time that whistle goes off, every imitator frog in the building is going off. Really? It, it's like they're so that yeah they rock out to Led so Zeppelin. They, My frogs are cool. That's man. cool. Yeah, they're cool frogs. So, but are are there documentaries ruining this stuff? Um, At all? Only, you know, only the, the ones that are over the top. So, uh, it, it, sort of a troubling trend in amphibian, really in wildlife biology, is that every biologist now wants to have a TV show. So they end up being these over the top personalities and they're trying to, to get noticed and, and get attention. It's not like it was where, you know, your biologist is the guy who's working in a stuffy room and, and working by himself or with him and his field assistants. Now it's like there's very much a. A cast of desire for fame, especially in subsequent generations, as things change. Too, you know, we yeah. all live online. We all live publicly. Um, you know, we're all trying to get attention in some way and, and validation for our work. Um, so you you tend to see these over the top naturalists and biologists that uh, 
that essentially are trying to get their own show or whatever. Mm, sure. So I think those types of shows, like the, the Attenborough stuff, the BBC stuff is, is at an incredibly high level of quality. Um, Ta- big budget. I've watched all of it. Yeah, big, massive, big multi-million. And multi, they'll take four years to do it, to do a show. <coughs> yeah. But what they're producing is, is, is really high-end stuff and they're capturing stuff that, you know, it happens on Earth. Like they're capturing real events. But, you know, you got the, the zany guy doing like a kid's show going into the Peruvian rainforest. But like, oh, you can't touch this frog. It's, you know, this frog can kill 10 people. That reminds it's me like, of wait, like... Are you going to uh, hand it an AR-15 and, and, give it, and give it an American passport? Like, yeah. what do you... <laughs> oh, sure. Bring guns into it. <laughs> That's right. Y- y- y'all are gun people. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. No, I, I mean, I've never been a gun guy, but, uh, you know... Yeah, okay. I, ballistics technology is really interesting. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's you cool. don't find it under the earth, but you know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's neat. Uh, yeah, no, that's cool, man. Um, Trilobites. Yeah. So, th- was that what got you into frogs? Was your buddy? You, in that, I've, I've always been into frogs. Like, okay, always. Yeah, ever since I was a kid, it was like, uh, man, I, I I broke my toe one time trying to get into a sewer grate. Because I was trying to rescue the little leopard frogs that were stuck in the bottom of the sewer. Crate. Well, you did mention about rescuing the frog that your next door neighbor was trying to attack with a golf club. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that you did that, and then you you became a man and right. Yeah. Another guy's doing frog things, and it just kind of wow. That's yeah, and it's uh, one thing that they've had some some friends point out is that. Um, the last, you know, I have a, one of one of my bands called Factory City, and we've done a couple albums. And I wrote this song called "The King of Frogs," and the, in 2015, and then you know, four years later, three years later, I was I was working with with frogs, and you know. So when you have your own frog <laughs> show, is that going to be the song? Well, I'm trying to work on my zany persona. Yeah, and I really yeah. got a nail because again, <laughs> facts don't matter anymore. Um, it's just how how zany you are and how many people in your cult of personality you can draw to you. And yeah. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still working on the those British elements. accent thing. Go- is working. Yeah, yeah I, I, was I, I love my, my uh, 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 early '90s David David Attenborough. Uh, early '90s in terms of age, not David Attenborough in the 1990s, but uh, <laughs> I like that one. So yeah, I, I, I use that one wherever I can, especially. Uh, narrating something absolutely ridiculous well well give us an example um oh geez see my i i have one of those like uh i was described as having a mercurial personality so usually i have to it'd be like a, a momentary thing but i'll, I'll try i'll try and load, load yeah, something just, up yeah yeah, yeah. not um, to worry just I, I'm, surprise I'm, us I, i've always wanted to do voice work uh, you know, uh, I, I know a couple of voiceover actors, and and but those guys can they pull it out. It's like you know, mm-hmm. like a, a guy like Harry Shearer oh, yeah. is just like, for me, it's like, oh man, I got to think about it. And you've already lost, right? You've already you've already lost the the lost the, the plot. Game. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Yes, I, I'm almost sorry I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So so do you do dinosaurs anything like that? No. So uh, as as a buddy of mine once said, he's like. Um, he says, every dinosaur guy I know working in commercial dinosaur sales has served time in a federal penitentiary. <laughs> no way. Good reason not to do it then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the most famous story is uh, uh, Pete Larson out of uh, um, his company's called the Black Hills Institute. Uh, and uh, the, the, the Tyrannosaurus skeleton, Sue, do you know this yeah. story? Yeah, no, yeah no, Sue's no. in Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah, so... Um, I saw you know, her and, skull. And he served, he served jail time for that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
the whole story is absolutely insane. I don't want to get into it because again, there, there's a lot of sides to it and there's a lot of opinion and it, mm. com- it comes into a lot of other, you know, uh, elements of, of, uh, I believe was found on, uh, indigenous land, but I think there was uh. permission, but then once the thing was found, the permissions changed and lawyers oh. got involved. And I'm sure a lot of lawyers got rich off that whole deal. I think that's fascinating that you get permission to do something, you find it, and then the permissions change because they're kind of jealous you found it. Yeah. Yeah, and then it somehow it still ends up in a museum and is still the same guy who dug it up. He gets no yeah. uh, leeway. These are yeah. multi-million dollar things, right? And, and there was, you know, he was on the news, news again recently because... I think somebody to the effect of his brother, I don't know what happened, but his brother left the company and everything ended up in court and they ha- ended up having to sell one of their other famous dinosaurs to uh, to basically, because most of their assets were tied up in, in the fossils themselves, right? So they didn't have liquid assets to pay the guy out so he could take his part and go. Right. So they, they had to sell. I think what a lawyer did is that they, they gave... Pete's brother the rights to sell Stan, and I don't know if you heard about that. No, but that they projected Stan would go for I think seven or eight million, and it ended up selling for something like thirty million dollars. Whoa! And what is Stan? Stan is is I think the, the second most complete Tyrannosaurus skeleton ever found. Um, Why are Tyrannosaurus so expensive as opposed to let's say the Brontoburger? <laughs> the Brontoburger. Um, <laughs> well, so. With a dinosaur, you're talking about a massive, massive, massive amount of work. So these things, when you see them articulated and mounted, they look like it's like cool. I can imagine that with skin. I, you know, I. I but when you find it, it's not. It doesn't look like that. Like you're t- there's compression. There's missing parts. You're talking about an animal that was decomposing. Like right. You know, there's parts missing. Parts of uh, you know, turned to dust and similar and sand. to. Oh the, yeah, yeah. Except that they're bigger. It's on a scale like yeah of an order of magnitude larger. And so, so, so people have to prepare this and it's thousands and thousands of hours, you know, just in terms of articulating one of these things, I can't imagine what the cost would be. And it's not, it's not my feel. I don't, I don't really know, uh, the, in, some of the ins and outs, but there's a, there's a lot of people involved to, to get one of those things articulated and mounted. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of restoration that gets done too. Um, <clears throat> so already you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions to, to get this thing out of the ground prepared, cleaned, mounted, uh, scanned. And I know part of what the Black Hills Institute does is they do really comprehensive three-dimensional scans of these and they sell the replica models to museums and uh, researchers all over the world. They also sell the scans so people can research, you know, this thing's been scanned inside and out. So there's a lot of, uh, it's a very emotional thing for a lot of people because, you know, people want the actual thing. The researchers want to work with the actual thing. But realistically, a full three-dimensional scan gives you details you can't even see on the real thing. Hmm. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of egos and emotions that's involved in, in, in dinosaur stuff. And every country in the world has pretty strong dinosaur protection laws as far as, you know, uh, Mongolia is a great example. So people were, were illegally getting uh, um, dinosaurs out of <clears throat> Mongolia for, for, for decades <clears throat> And the Mongolian government has been basically trying to track these things down. And the most famous case is the one that ended up in uh, Nicolas Cage's collection. He had a he had a dinosaur skull, which uh, they came and uh, took it back. Took it back, yeah. And, and oh wow! I don't know if he got much shit for that. Or I see, so like a black market type and, thing. Oh yeah. That's so there's a, there's a lot of that, and uh, you know, so it, it's kind of like 
a bit like trilobites, but taken to a full extreme because dinosaurs are fully in the public consciousness. That's something that even if you don't know nothing about nothing, uh, you know what you a know, dinosaur. You know is. what a dinosaur <clears throat> is. Yeah, he's. And you may they, not be able to say the name. Yeah. Huh. Archaeopteryx. Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's it's there's a lot of a lot of federal laws attached to dinosaur stuff. So, and that's what my buddy said. He ended up leasing some land, I think, in Montana, and I think he found one tooth. And then he's just like, I'm not doing this because it's just it's too too much money. You need to invest up front, and there's too many other avenues. So there there was a famous case where uh, there was a dueling set of dinosaurs. So predator prey together, like amazing. And someone had got, the, basically the collector wow. had gotten the rights from the landowner. And I believe it was uh, termed the mineralogical light, rights or something like that. But when they found it, so now you're, you're dealing with a multi-million dollar find, like millions and millions of dollars. So the landowner actually took the collector to court. And this is a case where the good guys actually won. So the collector actually won because the mineralogical right... Because it's, it's mineralized bone, right? It's not it's not bone anymore. It's you're, you're essentially talking about rock on rock in the shape of the you know the dinosaur skeleton or whatever. So they, they actually got to, to to take that fine. They they won in court. I think it went all the way to the Supreme Court. It was something nuts. Okay, or, so or whatever the American version of that is. Take me back. This guy finds a dinosaur and under the ground, and he digs it out, mm -hmm. cleans it off, shows it to you. And what he's showing you is not the bone? Well, so all the biological components have been mineralized. Over time, uh, essentially what happens is the biological components get replaced by uh, components of the surrounding sediment. So, And that, that's literally mineralization, fossilization, is, is the process of the replacement. So it's not bone. You're not going to crack it open. <clears throat> you might see structures that resemble bone marrow. But it's been replaced by the you know minerals of the surrounding sediment that, that the bone was encased in, which which is literally fossilization. It's just like you know this. It might have been uh, you know whatever the the shell was comprised of. It's you know if you were gonna do a, uh, an analysis on it, it probably wouldn't be much different from the surrounding rock because it's been replaced mineral okay. mineral replacement. Oh yeah. So there was another case of, of a there's a Swedish uh, dinosaur guy but he's a commercial paleontologist and he leased some land i can't remember where but he ended up doing this big operation he found i think it was an allosaurus that he found and, and it was a big one it's the most complete one ever and there happened to be some government asshole flying in a plane he was investigating something else and from the plane it was one of those small planes he saw a dig. he saw the dig happening so then he checks with the uh, blm <clears throat> Bureau, Bureau, of, uh, Bureau of Land Management, and they find out that he's 70 feet or 100 feet outside of the zone that he was licensed to find. The... So he had, oh, wow. he had invested massive amounts of money into this dig, and he's thinking, I just found the jackpot, you know, the most complete Allosaurus ever. Oh, and, uh, and they came and they find him and they took the find and, uh, other researchers came and took it over and what? it's, it is ruthless. That I wouldn't, so I wouldn't get involved with dinosaurs. But it's like, not like they found it. It's so they wrong. Didn't. No, but it's... that's what the government does. It's like, you know, it's why bureaucracies are the way they are. It's like, they're so good at taking credit for other people's work. It's like, and they've got, you know, Fuck. it's the law, right? It's the law. It's immutable. You can't, 
So, you know, it's just crazy. Like, there's no, there's no, if they want something, like, they're going to find a now, way to... Was this fella aware he was 70 feet outside? No, he wasn't. He actually didn't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, again, like, who, what a, what who a knows, mistake. right? But, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a pretty big screw up. And, uh, but, was... like, it almost feels like that's something that they should just leave then. Okay, then just leave it there because you we you yeah. legally shouldn't have found it, and we can't step but in on it. We what didn't. Are, what are the odds though? Like, and if I found it, like, I mean, I gotta say, like, if I found a freaking allosaurus, it'd be like, well, that's the line. But oh my god, this is an allosaurus. Come on, guys. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah, I can't yeah, leave yeah, this thing here. Crazy. And so this is the other element where where governments and academics have it wrong. If you're not out there doing the work, please shut up because <laughs> these things. Once they weather out, and weathering is essentially just the environmental process of nature is it, nature is a is, is sandpaper, and the longer something is exposed, it gets destroyed. So, you know, I always say, and I and I tell landowners and things too, like you know, I go in and I rescue these things because they are going to be destroyed by the natural elements. So, like um, uh, uh, in England, the the Jurassic Coast, you're only allowed to collect fossils that fall out of the cliff. Okay, that's fine. But there's still pushback on that. People want to ban that type of collection. It's like, if you don't go out there and collect these things, they get taken by the tide, <clears throat> they get pounded to dust, they get pounded to sand, and it's gone forever. How does that serve anyone? So what if I'm making a couple bucks off this? Like, what, yeah, why, yeah. why do you care? Like, it, it's either someone that wants to do the work, wants <clears throat> to go into the field, wants to put the time in, wants to learn their craft, wants to get good at it, uh, and then the person that sits back and goes, I don't think you should have that. I don't think you should be allowed to do that. So it's kind of like, if I can't have it, no one can. That's, right. that's sort of some of the, really the attitude of the academics is just like, well, I'm not going to go out and do the field work because academics make terrible field workers. But, um, huh. you know, or at least they do now. Or they're lazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it, it's, it's, it's perfect work for me because... I'm I'm unencumbered by all the scientific details as far as like, oh the size of the cephalic margin and how many lenses are in this eye. I, I don't care about that. Like yeah. I, you know, I, I'm a visual person. I, I love the artistry of it. I love, you know, um, to 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 get you know I've, I've come into my own as as a prep artist. It's something I, I I spend a lot of time on. I work really hard on it to do the best I can. Um, so for me, it's a marriage of art and history, um, and it's not so much about the science because there's nothing we can really learn from this that some, you know, somebody, some more, uh, 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 you know, a researcher hasn't already gone down and, and, you know, learned everything he can learn from that. What am I going to do? I'm going to save the thing, you know, I want to save it, from, you know, and if somebody wants to buy one off me, what's the harm in that? I don't get it. They're everywhere. They literally are everywhere. They, we're walking on them. Like, yeah, oh, you they're, know. they're everywhere. So what's the point? Why would anyone ever just say, don't do this? The same, yeah. the same reason that ever that, that anybody says that anyone gets you know emotional or upset about anyone having anything. It's just there, there's there's just that element of ego and, and jealousy, Ugh. or and it's all these things, all these feelings that I don't think we really understand. And uh, you know, like uh, I, I know a couple other collect. And can, honestly, I hate to say this, but the Canadian collectors in the trilobite field are are among the most vitriolic. You really, know, they will. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, you know, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to leave the names out, but I've got a colleague and, and a guy I consider a friend who's, who's, he's a really nice guy and he operates out of Quebec and he does what I do. Uh, he does it, I would say better than me because he is, 
he loves all of it. He loves he loves the science of it. He's right into it. He's a young guy, and uh, and he's good at it. And he's lucky. And he finds really cool stuff. He's found a bunch of new things. Um, he did something a little dumb. Uh, you know, uh, he went over to the Burgess Shale in British Columbia, and the Burgess Shale is essentially the one thing in invertebrate paleontology you just you don't do. You don't don't even look at it like. Because the stuff is very valuable because it is illegal to collect. It's protected by, by federal law. Parks Canada's got that place locked down. The ROM has it locked down. And he went over and he went there and he took a few things. Well, he told a, he told a friend of his that he got a couple things. And his friend is a very, very jealous person and reported him to Parks Canada. Oh, man. So he had an undercover cop contact him to buy some stuff. Oh no! He didn't realize it, and you know he, he shouldn't. There's a lot of he shouldn't have done this. He should, but I I always refer back to the this is nuts. There's a whole fucking mountain of these things, and but it, you know you can't again the law is immutable. You can't. There's no there's no gray area with the with the law, right? So um, yeah, he he got nailed, and uh, he I think he got fined. It was tens of thousands of dollars, and he got uh, I think house arrest for five or six months. From a, from, okay. a, a, from, oh, from a fellow trilobite collector reported him. For taking um, a, a trilobite rock. For taking a trilobite rock. Most people don't know what they are. Parks Canada knows what they are. I mean, and up until that, that's the biggest um, fossil, you know, criminal case that's happened in our country in, oh, I don't know, it's a couple decades. There was a, there was a guy. Um, I just find it all so silly. Oh, it it, it's silly. crazy. So yeah. a guy, I remember reading uh, years ago that a guy... Uh, I think it was still the Burgess Shale area, somewhere in BC. Um, they were on a tour, touring the. So they, they tour around. They show you the stuff sitting on the cliff face. There's trilobites there. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. Don't take them. Uh, the rain and the snow and the weather crank them to dust. But don't take them. You don't. They're not for you. They're only for academics. They're only for they're the, the scientists. How snobby! Even though, is that? oh, it's it's un, it's oh, it's un, un, the hypocrisy is deafening. So. I guess one of the one of the guys on the tour he took a he took a little trilobite, and they searched you after I guess they searched him and uh, they found he had it and he got fined four grand and I couldn't believe it. So up up until then that, that was the, the up until this one involving a friend of mine, you know he uh, that was the, that was the biggest case of. Uh, so when they find a trilobite in your pocket, what do they do with it? Do they go put it back? I think yeah they, they they frisky they pull it out like you son of a bitch and they throw it throw it down the mountainside and then they they book you. <laughs> no, well, because what do they do? Well, that's friggin' mind blowing. Honest, honestly, it, you know, and again, like this is not the hill that I want to die on, but uh, they, we have we have so <laughs> there's so many of these things. Like there's a whole mountain range of them, and uh, you know this Burgess shale fauna. We have a pretty comprehensive, and they're finding new stuff all the time. But there's certain species. That, and I've heard stories from other researchers that have worked on those projects, on those digs, and I will definitely will not name them just in case someone uh, in the ROM hierarchy hears this and I'm blacklisted more than I already am from the ROM. Um, they, uh, there's trilobite species, like we've already got a thousand of these in the basement. They throw it down the hill, down the slope, but no one else is allowed to have it. And the thing is, these things are so valuable, not only is it potentially an income stream for Parks Canada, which, you know, you can always use money, uh, but it's also they've created the market on it by making them illegal, right? It's just right. kind of like 
you don't legalize weed, no one cares anymore. Like, do uh, was it Portugal that legalized most drugs? Like, yeah, yeah like everything. Just, you know, it's just like as soon as you you create an opportunity for black market. And I, I went down to Tucson. At the, it's the biggest gem and mineral show in the year uh, of, of in the world. Sorry, a couple of years back, uh, we were showing our stuff down there. And you know, I, I went to a bunch of rooms, and they're selling Burgess Shale stuff. And there's stories about RCMP guys going down to Tucson and recovering this material because it's illegal to have. But you know, who knows? There, there's so much. It's it's so charged. I can only think of a few other things that would be more important that we should be, you know, using yeah. our, our police. Yeah. Oh uh, my God. So what blo what blows <laughs> my mind over over my buddy getting mailed is. This happened over COVID. We were in the middle of a global pandemic, allegedly. Uh, you know, depending, everyone's got their opinions. It's on another that. podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, leave that you, alone. <laughs> we'll leave that alone. But um, you know, uh, and like good little boys and girls, you know, we all tucked in. And every, you know, most people that work for themselves, like I had just started my own business, and I lost, I lost everything. I, you know, I lost the touring. <sighs> I lost all my income. I was doing, I was doing house shows for free. I was doing uh, live stream shows for free for for you know, a year and a half and yeah, man. And it, everyone's got their horror stories from that. Right. We're all going to, we're all, uh, we've all got the, the all PTSD from yeah. that shit. And, uh, this is what our government was spending money on a sting operation on rocks. Are you fucking kidding me? And I was kind of wondering about like, <laughs> like, are they going to have the nuts to put this guy's name in the paper? Because, the feeling at that time was, fuck the government. This is insane. This is, you know, we were on like lockdown six or whatever. It's my feeling and right now. So, so, and, and what they, you know, what they charged them, it, it probably doesn't cover a fraction of what we paid in, in tax money to, to, to have this operation, right? The, you know, the sting operation to get this guy on rocks. Like it's just, it, it honestly makes me sick. It makes me sick. And it's just, do we not have a better use for our time? And they're all proud of themselves. They're probably high five and we got this guy. It's yeah. a rock. Dudley do right. Got his man. And yeah, yeah, you're, you're gonna you're gonna put this thing in the ROM, and 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 Joe Bob and Joe Bob Jr. are gonna come up and be like, "Look at that, son! It looks like a grease stain on a rock." And we can believe that in the fucking museum. Let's go look at the dinosaurs. Like, who gives a shit? Like, it's just, it's <laughs> yeah, not. It's not in the public billion out on the mountain range. Yeah, there, there's tons of them, and you know, but but these guys, they're so they're so passionate about it, as far as. That you know, people like me, you know, we're, we're the enemy. But you know, realistically and historically, the people that contribute most to the knowledge base are the dumbass diggers like me. We go out and we work our asses off. We that find makes stuff. a lot of sense. And I, I still, even feeling the way I feel and as biased as I am against that type of community and and that type of, uh, you know, the aggression they have for guys like me, I still want to work with them. I want to because I want to contribute to the knowledge base. I want to, you know, like. I, I want to be a part of it. And mm. so there's other projects we're, we're trying to get off the ground. And, and you know, it's hard to find researchers that will work with a commercial paleontologist, for one. Even though mm. I'm like, I want to give you... This is new. It's new. You've never seen it before. I want to work yeah. with you. Um, and, and, and if I got to sell stuff to justify the $30,000 in expedition fees that I had last year, then I got to sell stuff, right? Like... I am, like I said, I'm, I'm a victim of my own curiosity constantly. I'm dread, I, I'm just, my consciousness is just party to wherever my, my interests take me. And uh, I watch the stuff happening and sometimes I go like, what the hell am I doing? This is nuts. Uh, I, I do expensive things for not a lot of money and, but I, I love it. But then when you come against that kind of, you know, that opposition, you're just like, 
man, yeah. it's discouraging. It, you know, it's uh, I'm willing to do the work. Are they are, the are they at all worried about what you might find? Well, Is again, a, it, it, a lot of it's ego. So I will say not to not to cast shade on on the paper that that was just published, but. You know, one thing that was important to me is that Mark and I got got credit for discovering the holotype. So a holotype is, that is the type specimen of which the description is based off of. So that's like, you know, that's, that's your Sioux. That's your, that's your, that's your, your, um, your specimen that is representative of the species that's being described. So okay. we, we found the holotype and, you know, when you read this thing, like I couldn't be more removed from its discovery. Like it's, and me being me, and 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 that's just how science is. Like it's it's dispassionate for anyone else that that you know. And and there was a bit of a a bunch of other guys jumped on the paper at the last minute. And apparently there's a lot of etiquette with, you know, everyone's supposed to know that other people are jumping on the paper. I didn't know there was a couple guys that that jumped onto the paper. I didn't know about it. And and you know that kind of stuff is frustrating because. Yes, it's an algae. Yes, six people are going to read this paper, but you know, I I was proud of it. You know, and I, I was of proud course. to work with. And Steve someone else and is getting the credit. Yeah, yeah. There, it, credit is not given. You know, there's no mention of our our company and stuff like that. You know, like it's just it, it couldn't be more removed from, from us as a discovery. And and that stuff makes you a little a little butt hurt, so to speak. You know? Yeah, fuck that. What yeah, it's a, it bugs you a bit, and and I just hope it's bugs not indicative you. indicative of, of what future collaborations will be like, and uh, like you know, and I've donated stuff to the ROM too, like the new exhibit. Um, they did buy something from me, um, something that I really didn't want to sell, so you know, I, I sold it to them because they really wanted it for their pyrite exhibit, and uh, but you know, and I, I I felt I felt bad about selling something to the ROM because you know they 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 work on a lot of donations and. Uh, but you know they were they were doing the thing, and I, I you know I was really proud of the find, and I thought that this was not a fossil that would be appreciated by the public consciousness. It it just it's a little tiny thing, but it was really important to me. But they wanted it really bad, so I I let them have it. But because of my residual guilt, I ended up donating two other two or three other really nice pieces, and I just wanted our company to get credit. I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure that that we didn't get any credit for those donations. We. And I guess, you know, and there's supposed to be tax receipts and that kind of stuff, but, you know, mm. the, um, the new director is really, really not a fan of commercial paleontologists. Now, is this director, uh, did they, are they, uh, incredibly removed from this, uh, line of work based, like, are they a director because of, uh, something else, marketing or something, you know what I mean? Um, well, usually they're, they, they've got, you know, they've got their PhD, they've got experience in the field. And okay. I know that this particular guy, uh, is involved with a lot of furthering, um, the knowledge of the Burgess shale material and, hmm. um, you know, th that it's a very important soft tissue site and it really is scientifically important, but I don't believe it's important enough to spend, you know, 50 or $60,000 of, of money to chase down a 23 year old guy in Quebec for some rocks, you know, that it's, uh, <laughs> one of the, you know, and again, I am shooting my mouth off a little bit, but, and I, and I, I like it again, it's all, it, it all depends on, on, on what your ego, what you, you know, your ambition. And, and, you know, for me, I just don't understand. I'm like, why can't we all get along? Come on. Like we all, we all want the same thing. Uh, but you know, you, you get money from grants and, and I get money from clients and, and by, by limiting, uh, collectors, uh, ability to, 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 to pursue the thing they love and collect what they love, 
you're creating that market. You know, you're creating the high price points of things. And, you know, as soon as you make something illegal, it's, uh, and we're going that way as, as a, you know, Quebec and Ontario, the only reason that, that I can sort of gray area still dig trilobites and, and prepare them and sell them is because we do so much aggregate business in those two provinces. We do massive amounts. So why can Lafarge smash up 10,000 of these things in a weekend, but I go in and I find one and I sell it to, let's say, a buyer in Japan, and you know I'm potentially on the hook for, for some kind of legal hmm. recourse. Because, yeah. so back in the 70s, there was a blanket law passed called the Heritage Act. And this is some bullshit. I think it was 1973 or something like that. But the Heritage Act stipulates that uh, no artifact found in Canada can be so- of a value over 500 Canadian dollars can be sold outside the country without it going through institutions, without it being first offered for sale, which could be a year, two-year process. Like, you, you know how slow things move in this country. And especially when you're dealing with you know, institutions like you're, you're there. It's not in their best interest to, to, to expedite the process. Right. So if you got a buyer, would you mind waiting two years just to make sure the Canadian museums don't want to buy this thing first? So really legally, I'm not allowed hmm. to sell anything outside of the country for more than 500 bucks. So the government has this thing where if you fall outside of the curve of working at Walmart or, or you know, yeah, operating a quarry yeah, yeah. if you were in a niche business and th- and this definitely plays into the frog thing as well like the, the the shit that my buddy mark has had to deal with over the years it's unbelievable like they it's almost like are they trying to put us out of business and we were audited last year and the lady that that was handling our case she did not understand how our business operated what it was uh she didn't understand how <laughs> why most of our business was outside of canada Canadians are, are terrible at supporting Canadians. I don't know why that is. And, and you know, in music and everything I've done, I've seen that that trend constantly repeat itself. And there's not very many trial bike collectors in Canada. It's mostly, my market is the rest of the world. Hmm. The U.S. Uh, is huge and Asia is huge. Um, because there's a lot of really, really dedicated collectors uh, all over the world. So they didn't understand that most of our business, most of our sales come from outside the country. So... What she came after us for was, she's like, well, yeah, I see you've got these Canada Post, you know, shipping labels and stuff, but how do you prove that you didn't just print these off and you just sold it for some to somebody in, in Canada? Like, what the fuck? So they went Stupid. after us for so, our, yeah. so yeah, she, she couldn't get us on what she wanted to get us for. So she's like, well, basically you're shipping parcels out under this other company heading. This is fraud. Like, how is this fraud? Like, it's a small business solutions card. We ship a thousand parcels a year, so we're going to use that card. But no, in, in the in the Canadian government, in the, in the bureaucracy, in all its niche wisdom, that that is considered fraud. So we like we had to we had to completely change how we did business, and and so like we're already paying crazy prices. Like it, it is it's cr- it's a crazy time to own your own business, and we're getting stomped. Like it's uh, and we we fall outside the curve. They don't understand it, and they don't like it. And it's the same with the frogs. They don't understand it. They don't like it. So like Mark's business is held to the same standard as a massive greenhouse that exports, you know, millions of plants a year. He exports a few thousand or whatever. 
he's held to the same standard, has to pay the same CFIA regulation fees, has to have the same uh, investigations done in, into his plants. It, it's insane. Like it's just there's no there's no quarter given to a niche business that falls outside the curve in this country. I don't, I, I mean like. It's not like a, please consider us trilobite sales. I know of three of us in Canada, you know, that, that do wow. it, maybe four. But, uh, you know, it, it just it'd be frustrating because, like, you've already got enough against you doing weird shit. But, you know, it's like, yeah, you're punished for pursuing and, your and, passion. I mean, most people I know, I don't think they would even give a shit. But then, no. but because of the system and the rules and things, they're told to give a shit. They're told yeah. that, uh, you know, whether you give a shit personally or not, this is the rule. So whatever's happening, you got to, you know, stand within that line. So you can argue all you want, mm -hmm. but they have the it's rule like, book. No, They're just going to go, yeah. uh, well, but it says wow. here. Yeah. You fall between <clears throat> these and these, and these both don't look good for you. It's like, it's kind of like, um, you know, we don't need more laws. Like it, it's optics. Like it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the, you know, when, when you're looking at something in a microscope, the more you zoom in, the more you see, right? 100%. And that's kind of what laws are happening. It's like, we're zooming in, the optics are zooming in on businesses and they're seeing things they don't like, and they're creating new new regulations and laws for that. So I think uh, I'll probably have to figure out something else in the future because it's just a matter of time before all fossil collecting is illegal. And unfortunately, it's 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 incidents wow. like this Burgess Shale thing um, are are that gives them ammunition to pressure the government for stricter regulations. I don't understand. And, and they want it in Ontario too. They want it in Ontario. They want it in Quebec. It's already in Nova Scotia. It's already in Newfoundland. It's already in BC, Alberta. Like it, it's already everywhere. You can't, uh, now, Manitoba, if you find a trilobite in Manitoba, you cannot have that. That That is not, that's the property of the crown. It is not yours. So if I, if I'm going to buy, if I buy land and I build a house and uh, while I'm building this house, I find, I don't know, whether it's a trilobite or it's a stegosaurus, what what happens to my, what happens to me? Like, what what do I do? You be very very quiet and build your house and live your life <laughs> as a happy man. And for God's sake, don't with, find any human with your remains. Dinosaur in the basement. <laughs> really? Oh well, yeah, 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 guess, there was a yeah. Case, yeah. There was a case of a skull fragment being found on some lady's uh, property, and oh my God, I don't I don't know what ended up happening out of it, but she was on the hook for tens of thousands of dollars. It's 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 a crazy world oh when, when you're when God. you're into when you what? fall outside the curve you fall a long way because because it, it's there's no they can't regulate you they can't control you in the way that they want to so um, it's it's almost like it's it's an offense to them and like the lady we talked to through and luckily we we passed the soft audit we just got a scolding but you know I'm watching you guys you know one of those ones like oh fucking hell so you know it's just it's just a uh, it's crazy that you gotta you gotta really keep your hands clean in this business, and I mean like so there seems ironic by by limiting yeah, you know, the same. <laughs> yeah, wonderful the irony yeah. I don't I don't care which which cabal of uh, I I don't fall in with the uh, uh, you know the one throng or the other I think an asshole is an asshole and and it, 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 politician is just about the lowest calling for any human being on earth in my in my opinion but. Because it's a desire for control and it's a, it's a desire to, to say no. And I, I I think you see a lot of, you know, academics kind of fall into that same trap. It's like, well, you know, well, that's again, the thing, you know, when you become a politician, I mean, you think to yourself, uh, I would imagine that when you start as a politician, you kind of going, well, I want to change the game. I want to change. I want it for the yeah. better or whatever. But for who? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. your basis, yeah. your opinion. Things change. Based on your people or it's like whatever, that episode you know. of the simpsons where marge becomes mayor and, and she's like i'm gonna clean up this city and then 
somebody comes in, oh, I got this fur coat from this, uh, yeah, you, you got <laughs> yeah. this, and I go, oh, we're just going to dump a little toxic waste over there. Oh, okay, that seems reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's just, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it, we're human, we're corruptible, we're so easily fallible, like, you just, uh, yeah. and it's like that in all things. Like, you can make a case for anything, you can be passionate, you can, you can plant your flag in any hill, if, if, but you... I think you know, as humans, especially now more than ever, we gotta we gotta stop putting our sword in the ground and be like, no, this is the way. Yeah, and that's the like, silliest but, shit. But why? Like, you know, stop being an idiot. Like, just live and let live, and you know, just don't be an asshole. But well, you know what it is is that on that side of the coin, there's also a dumbass too. I oh, mean, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna say why? Why can't I just do this? And the moment they go, well, you know what? It's pretty reasonable. I think you can. And then, you know, a thousand other guys are going to come along and go, well, then I can do this too and whatever. Which, I mean, again, who's to decide whether they can or can't? But, I mean, to me, it's it's the earth. It's the, you know, we could all come across a fucking trial bike. Anything. And that's a good point. So if tomorrow there was 10,000 more trial bike collectors in Ontario... Man, every site would you you would hear the clap, you would hear the thunderclap in the sky. Every site would shut its doors, right? Like nobody would let anyone on there because you'd let a couple guys on there, like ten dedicated fossil collectors. They'll take down a cliff, you know. Like they'll yeah, they'll they will uh, you know. And it, it most for the most part, there's a lot of natural erosion. So if you're if you're digging in riverbanks and stuff. It's very little impact that nature wouldn't already have, and that's that's sort of my philosophy on on how I do it. There's nothing that that wouldn't happen anyway. You know, it's if anything, I'm just I'm just I'm going in, I'm finding the stuff before the rain does, and the freeze thaw cycle does, and uh, you know I'm I'm, I'm saving totally it, right? I'm, I'm rescuing the thing, and uh, you know if if I if I sell it to justify my time, but it, it's it's so taboo. I mean, like it's even. It feels dangerous for me to talk about selling fossils because that is very much the atmosphere. That's the that's the that that's the type of air that we breathe, and it's um it's considered so taboo because the public thinks everything should be free. Uh, no idea how they get it, like no idea how it comes to them, but it should be free. Like yeah, you shouldn't be yeah. doing that. Like you know, it, it's funny the the difference between collecting in Quebec and Ontario. If you collect anywhere in Ontario that's in the sight line of any person that's walking around, you can set your watch five minutes. Someone's going to walk up, hands on hip. What What are you doing here? What do you think you're doing? Are you allowed to be doing that? I can't. I can't tell you the number of times that that's happened. You go to Quebec, nobody cares. <laughs> it's just like even quarries. Like you go in. That's that's the one place in Canada you can still go into a, a huge quarry operation. And be like. Um, do you mind if we look around for some fossils? Yes, yes, okay. Yeah, just you know, go ahead. Just be careful. Like, are you kidding me, man? Like, as long as we stop, I'm like, really? Like, yeah, really. Go ahead. Now, In does Ontario, that mean that now has Quebec been all dug up now because of no, this? No, no. Actually, um, it, it's weird. There, there's so many more collectors in Ontario than there are in Quebec. And Quebec has, uh, you know, just like uh, just like um, the GTA is, you know, Quebec City and uh, uh, even uh, Montreal area, like amazing deposits of, of ordovician rock and uh you know and they, they'll let you in and and you just you know ask nicely and wow whereas in ontario you better you better come in with an offer for a ten thousand dollar lease and a and a and a, uh, a pretty a pretty hot contract to get in anywhere like you know there's obviously there's exceptions to everything but sure because it all you know everything's about relationships too and uh and what the public and what the landowner's perception of fossils is so like, you know, we work with a guy up north and, you know, we call them cold call and, uh, and we're like, Hey, um, 
do you think we could look in your quarry for fossils? She's like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, let me think about that and I'll call you back. So I guess he thinks about it and he talks about it with his wife and, and we get a text. Yeah, no problem, boys. Yeah. And then he came down to meet us and you, you kind of see the wheels spin and it's like, well, if you guys find anything that's worth a million bucks, I want a cut of it. And it's like a million bucks. Well, there's no trilobite on earth worth a million bucks, but you know, like, so people don't really have a, uh, they don't have anything to measure it against. Like the value, sure. the value of a fossil is so subjective because no two are alike. And, um, it, it's based on a whole bunch of complex factors. Um, but so since this guy, this quarry owner has become a really, really, really good personal friend, um, both to Mark and I and, and a great family, great people. Like we, we actually go, we go hang out with them. They're actually in Peru with Mark right now. And, uh, and, hmm. uh, you know, uh, the, the quarry up, up North, like that's, that's, you know, that's locked down. So hmm. and that's, then that's through a personal relationship. But most of the time you just, it's just no, like, no, if you get hurt, Wow. Yeah, some lawyer's going to take me apart. And yeah, it's uh, it almost seems like there, there isn't a lot of personal um, culpability anymore, too. It's like, I, I'm willing, if I go into a big quarry, like, I'll sign any waiver you want. Like, I'm a responsible collector. I don't, I don't hang off cliffs. But it, it's not good enough anymore. It's, it's, it's a lawyer's world. They're the only ones getting rich. Jesus, man. Well, uh, we're slowly going to tie this up, but yeah. while you're thinking about uh, what you're going to uh, uh, write on the table, mm-hmm. um, what's next? Where 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 do you dream of going, and what 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 uh Ooh, what I do you want to find? You know. Also, also while you're doing that, um, if anyone wanted to get a hold of one of your trilobites and <clears throat> or what, how, how would they do that? Do you have a website that? So, uh, yeah, I mean, over the years, we've tried to figure out, like, you know, websites cost money. And, you know, every, the thing is, everybody wants to see every single thing you have. Right. And then, and then say no to it. So it, <laughs> I, I find it personally better to deal with people one-on-one. So uh, I would reach out either through our Facebook page uh, or our Instagram page, which we've got uh, you know, over 17,000 followers all over the world. Actually, on the rock and roll thing. One of the coolest things that ever happened, you know, I've been playing music professionally since I was 16 years old, and uh, I've never really had any, broad, you know, with Canadian rock royalty, sure, but never anyone on a global scale. But Slash liked some of our first posts. Wow. So that was cool to see. It's like, the best. fucking hell, like there's Slash, and, and I looked at it, and it is him. It's actually him. So I guess he's interested in all, anything weird he's interested in, but... Uh, um, you so can find right. us on our Instagram. Well, we're gonna tag him on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, what is what is your fa- uh, Facebook and Insta? So it's just um, at Stormbed underscore Paleontological. Okay, but I'll basically, put it up on the screen. if you look up uh, at Stormbed, you'll find us. There's no at one Stormbed. else Stormbed. Yeah. So a Stormbed is a um, it, it, a Stormbed is essentially like a high energy deposit that shows like you know there was a violent storm here. So that's where the name comes from. So it's oh, cool. Bed, yeah. So a uh, very active uh, uh, fossil deposit. Yeah. Cool. So as far as what's next, I probably shouldn't say anything about where I'm going because who knows what's going to be illegal in the future. Like uh, okay. one of the best fossil sites on earth is a place called Anacostia Island um, in the Gulf of the St. Lawrence, uh, technically Quebec. And uh, some of the best fossils on earth. These things weather out of the cliff, fall into the ocean, gone forever. Um, they just extended i think two kilometers of the coastline and then everything inland protected under uh 
under Quebec law, so it's totally illegal. And a bunch of academics uh, were involved with with pressuring that decision, and so now it is it is illegal to collect anything from there. And otherwise, I'd, I'd say there. Now again, <laughs> are they just afraid of what you're going? to Yeah, I don't find? understand their end result. It's, like, if what? I can't have it, no one can. And uh, so I mean, certain it's worth a lot of money and. Yeah, certain, and and I mean they don't. Yeah, they don't want it. They don't want it on the market. They don't want you know. They they want to control all of it, which they, you know, they it think it's their, their it's their business. They think they're they're they you know it's 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 all for them. Hmm. And I mean, there's certain institutions like the AMNH is doing amazing stuff. Uh, the American Museum of Natural History, and they actually do uh, proper expeditions out to Anacostia. I think they do one or two a year, and uh, you know the bunch of researchers go out there and they do the work. And there's a whole bunch of new species that. Um, that are actually uh, being found all the time there, and you know that that's all well and good. But you're talking about, you know, kilometers and kilometers of this rock that is constantly eroding with the tide, in and out, in and out. Things fall off the cliff into the ocean, gone forever. Yeah, it's what a shame. It's sad and it's it's yeah. self defeating in my opinion because you know when you find people that that do want to work with academic researchers like myself, and Mark, um, you know. You, you, again, you're cutting off the foot to spite the leg, or cutting off your nose to spite your face. I think is the actual saying. I like to I like to mix metaphors mm-hmm. and sayings. And, yeah, yeah, it's, nah, good. it's good though. Yeah, yeah, cool. So pick a spot. All right. Yeah, well, and again, it doesn't have to be right there. It can be. It should. This should be. It doesn't uh, have to. It should be easy to figure out. There's my model. Ah, ah right on. We get our own trial bite for those listening. Mike is uh, drawing a trilobite with great detail. You know, there needs to be like, there needs to be a cartoon, trilobite cartoon. (laughs) So I need to know whether the trilobite that Mike's drawing, is this the one with the spines? Yeah. For the jodfish? Yeah, which of the uh... (laughs) 21,000? Would you like them in alphabetical order? (laughs) Please. (laughs) Hey, uh, it starts with uh, the type of trilobite that begins with an A. (laughs) David. Uh, That's great. This is is fascinating. It's incredibly fascinating. This is one of those things where as soon as we... uh, as soon as we stop recording, we're gonna go. Fuck! I should have asked this. Should oh no! Totally. That. I wish I knew what, more. About what's interesting that. though is um, is trilobites. Despite the fact there's twenty one thousand plus, they're just a. That's just one tiny, tiny piece of this whole huge puzzle. Yeah. Of uh, paleontology. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Huh. Interesting. So the trilobite with a bit of a. Bit of an afro or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good that we gave him ten minutes. Actually, <laughs> Sorry, guys. It actually looks really good, man. It's, it's cool. One well, of these days, we're gonna show this. Yeah, we're gonna table have to on, uh, put some pictures of the table. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. That's great. Oh, and I and I just want to note that uh, one of our former you met one of our former uh, uh, guests on the podcast, uh, Claire Tricky. One day, I know we talked about this before the podcast, but um, that's great. But uh, thanks, Mike. No Mike, your your wife's name is Claire. Yeah, and you met Claire Tricky, and she was with a mic, which was kind of funny. Yeah, at the London Gem and Mineral Show, uh, she came in. Uh, she picked out a megalodon tooth and a whale vertebra. And normally, I wouldn't remember that, but it was such a memorable, 
conversation. So my, my wife is very friendly. You've known, you went to high school. Yeah, with her. yeah. She's and, awesome. Uh, she uh, and it was the only time she's ever worked with me on on an expo, and we were we were showing the the trilobite stuff, and and uh, she's like, oh, what do you do? She's like, and she's like, well, I'm a hunter and I'm a taxidermist. Uh, and Claire's like, well, that's that's interesting. Where where do you where where do you do that? And she's like, well, it's a small town. You probably never heard of it called Rodney. And my wife and I both look at each other. It's like we just moved to Rodney. Like, what are the fucking odds? <laughs> and and then and then Claire Tricky says to she's like, Mike, come over here. You won't believe this. These guys just moved to Rodney. I'm like, his name's Mike, Mike and Claire, Mike and Claire, and it's Rodney. Population five hundred and sixty people. It was, it was such a bizarre, memorable thing. So Claire and I were driving to London a couple of days ago, and we were listening to that episode. And a great episode, really interesting. Um, because you know, it was awesome. Like, like uh, she was amazing. Yeah, and, and like her, you know, I I was vegetarian for fifteen years, and so was Claire, um, two thousand eight to uh, I guess last year, and uh, wow. you know, we were very, very sort of. I'm not I'm not a big uh, type A guy. Like, I'm not, I'm not big on hunters and stuff and the the swinging dick thing, but sure. like Jesus, four wheeling. <laughs> But we moved out in the country, and uh, you know, over time, like it's a it's eroded some of our most deeply held convictions about things, and and uh, mm. you know, and and I, I feel like the world could use a dose of that. It's just like, see, you know, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't. If you do something, it do, it takes nothing from me. So you know, again, like I don't I don't like putting my sword in a hill and, and standing my ground anymore. You know, unless my life's on the line or mm -hmm. my my livelihood's on the line. So you know, when it comes to laws and stuff, yes, but. Um, for hunting and stuff. No, it's cool as shit. And that was a great interview. Yeah. I mean, we, we were kind of like that too. We didn't grow up. I didn't grow up a hunter. You, you're, you, Randy wasn't a hunter. No, I'm, uh, I'm an, a gun enthusiast, but I was never a hunter. Yeah. And I mean, I, I didn't desire the, uh, killing a living yeah, thing yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, especially after someone like Claire, you really, I mean, but you it get was some an education insight as, as to why anyone oh, yeah, does what they yeah. do, and you know, and and she's a really good example of an ethical hunter because you know I noticed that some mm. of the things she says she's not like, again, she's not into the the swing and dickness of it. I mean, for obvious reasons, for one, but for the yeah, other, yeah, she, yeah, she's so not, of course, she's not, she's not like well, she's like, well, why would you do that? You know, I don't take a shot if it's over thirty yards. Why would you put something through that? Like, you know, I want to fill my freezer. I'm, I'm, you know, looking for food. I'm not. Yeah, I love that. You know, but but when the a bunch of guys get together, like you know, I, I have a lot more exposition on hunting now because I know a lot of moose hunters and guys that they live for it. It's it's everything. It's, yes. it's a culture. Yes, and and that part of it, you know, I'll never I'll never be part of that world. But it takes nothing from me, you know. It's it's I, yeah. I got no I got no issue if, you know, f fulfillment in life is is hard to come by, and if it does that for you, fucking go for it. It just goes back to the old uh, mind your own business deal. Absolutely, yeah. Mind mind your business, and mostly because you won't understand it if you try. No, no. If you're not part of that world, then and it's it's like this too. It's like everyone's got an opinion about everything now, but we yeah. don't, you don't need to. You can just. Live your life. Yeah. It's great. It's so freeing. <laughs> but no one's opinion is positive anymore. It's, no, no. It, why, you know? Well, even even selling frogs, like, you know, you get the odd person. It's like, are you allowed to have these? Like, do you think I'd be selling these at a reptile <laughs> expo seen by 10,000 people if I wasn't allowed to have them? Like, come on. Like, there's regular, you know, everything is it's so just, heavily regulated. Yeah, now. Just, just why do people need to? Yeah, it comes to that, that Karen thing. It's like, what what are you doing here? What are you doing with that shovel? One time, my buddy got you know some lady got got in his face. What are you doing here? And he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm burying somebody." <laughs> and she went away. It's like, 
perfect. <laughs> well, yeah. it's she didn't your, want to take that risk. Yeah, none of your yeah. fucking business. It might be you if we continue this conversation. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, Mike. Awesome. I guess we'll tie it up there. Hey. That was fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure, guys. Thank you for all this the good. Awesome. <laughs> the, the other snacks in there. Yes. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Stormbed. Look them up. Everybody. Stormbed. That's awesome. All right. Yep. Yeah. Stormbed Paleontological. Paleontological. And if anyone's got any questions about, about the ins and outs, just feel free to message me. I try to get back to everybody. And, and, and oh, They can message me too because I know everything now. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. You, yeah. You've got the full, um, yeah. I, and even with all the tangents that I've gone on today. And <laughs> the one thing we didn't really touch on was the prep work. But, uh, you know, I get a lot of people asking about prep work and stuff. Everything's done under a microscope in a lab. And, yeah. So, cool, yeah, man. anyone's got questions, uh, Reach out to me. I'm, I'm not the enemy, guys. If you have PhD in your name, I'm not the enemy. <laughs> I'm just a dumb guy who's good at digging. <laughs> Man, awesome. I, it's so cool. Yeah, dude, thank you. My pleasure. So thank, much thanks so much for here. having me. It's an, it's an honor. Uh, dude, it was a pleasure. To be, to be here. Yeah. It was great. Thanks, yeah. Mike. My pleasure. Thank okay. You. All right. Cut it, D. <laughs> <laughs>